0: Topia it's Jeff and Jer here doing a duo this week. Hello. <laughs> a duet, like um, Frank Sinatra used to do with uh, everybody, right?
1: Love lift us up where we belong.
0: Wow. In any event, <laughs> <we'll> <laughs> ignore that and go on. Oh, thanks. Um, so this is going to be a variety of stuff episode Uh, First up, of course, we need to talk about uh, the Emma Woods case and the fallout um, from that, or should I say the rebuttal uh, to what she has said from Jacobs and somewhat from Hopkins. Um, Both on David Jacobs' website, he released a statement, and he also went on the Paracast with Bud Hopkins and for all of about, ooh, five minutes addressed this. So we're going to get into that, but before we get into that, I think it's it's important to mention, or perhaps apropos—I don't know what's the right word, Jeff.
1: Uh, needed, <laughs>
0: <laughs> needed to mention that um, a few weeks ago we had said we're done warring with people. We're done paying attention to message boards, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and pretty much the moment we did that, this message board started attacking us. Which hell
1: hath erupted. Hell hath yeah.
0: erupted, and and I blame Jeff because I believe you said. We're out, so unleash the hounds, or words to that effect. And, yeah, that, that's they took exactly. You up
1: on it. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, isn't that what uh, George Hansen would smile and cock his head like a dog at, and say, "Yeah, that's how it is. That's how it works." So he's right again, because once again, we're uh, the minute the minute that we say, "Let's let's get down to business. Let's stop this back and forth." Comes the back and forth. All right. So impossible to really get around, but uh, at least in this episode, I think that we're going to try and stick to strict critiques and not to anything personal. Yeah. Uh, so anyone listening should definitely not take it that way. We're just strictly talking about the, the Hopkins-Jacobs-slash-hypnosis issue with Emma yeah. and, and hypnosis in general. And in
0: fact, uh, the points I'm going to be making about the Paracast uh, as of today are things that we have talked to Gene Steinberg about. So right. we're not even doing anything behind their back or anything like that. Um, it's just that, you know, they went on their show um, ostensibly because we had exposed the Emma Woods case to such a large and interested audience that Jacobs felt he had to um, speak up publicly finally. Um, and I think one point that's important to make about that, that we didn't hammer home, uh, mainly because I don't think we really knew, right, the, how long he's had to, re- to rebut her claims – Uh, He's known about this since 2007, so he's had a couple of years to refute her claims, and he never did. He never spoke about it. He just kind of hoped it would go away. Mm -hmm. So now we've made it a public issue, and people are interested in it, and he feels the need to uh, defend himself finally, which is good.
1: No, I think it also figures into the whole uh, Dr. Lillenfeld episode as well because I think that that was – I think a lot of people tend to ignore that one and just focus on Emma and – Dr. Jacobs, but I think Lillenfeld actually set us on the path of uh, what would later become a perfect example of why hypnotherapy is so detrimental well, this uh, is to this true. field. You know, I mean, and, that's really and, where it came from.
0: Yeah, that's true. And in fact, we had emailed Jacobs when we did the Lillenfeld episode to tell him, look, we're going to bring up um, some of this Emma Woods stuff. Uh, do you want to talk about it? And instead of instead of addressing us, saying anything to us, he emailed Dr. Lillianfeld directly, if if you'll recall. I think we mentioned that on the following episode, uh, that that had happened, so... (laughs) Dr. Greenfield, yeah. (laughs) yeah, Yes, called him Dr. Greenfield. So, um, yeah, so even as of the Lillianfeld episode, he was still trying his best not to go public with any sort of defense um, and still trying to keep this under wraps. And I guess we need to make um, this uh, confession... Uh, that he actually told us his his side of the story, Jacob's did, sure. uh, in confidential emails after we did the first Emma Woods, you know, after we critiqued the, the audio tapes. Um, now, I thought it was shady because why is he asking us to, you know, I'll tell you what's going on if you keep it confidential. Uh, that's just, you know, we're the wrong guys for that. But... I wanted to know why it was he needed to keep it confidential, and it turns out because he thinks she has a borderline personality disorder and is stalking him, and he doesn't want to add fuel to her fire and all that. The reason I can tell you all of this now is because that's exactly what he says in his rebuttal on his website. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to Audio Tape 8, hey, that's exactly what he told Emma Woods he would say when uh, when she was going back and forth with him on trying to reconcile this. Um, right. So – uh, so here we all are, and where do we – well, where do we go from here, Jeff?
1: Well, one thing I want to say before we even go on is that this show pretty much has an unblemished record of keeping confidential sources confidential. Um, and, and the only reason we did bring that up is that uh, Jacobs has now come out and, and said exactly that. Um, there are some other things in there we're not going to get into, of course, because we did promise to maintain confidentiality to that. Uh, but it's nothing. I mean, right, Jeremy? Am I wrong here? I mean, there's nothing really past that that is so ridiculous that that no. that, that 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 affects the case one way or the other. It's just other things that that he's mentioned.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, uh, just about was,
1: his own personal experience with it, not so much. Yeah. You know.
0: And I had said to him uh, in the email, you know, the last thing that I wrote to him before he stopped writing back. Uh, <laughs> well, he responded to it, and then he stopped writing back. But I, I had said to him, "Look, all of this is well and good." My question is, did you use these tactics? Did you tell her under hypnosis she has multiple personality disorder, etc.? That's really the issue to me, not whether she's crazy or any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And he didn't directly answer that, so make of that what you will. But um, I will say that it's really telling what he's doing to me. On his website, it's basically all about how she's crazy, right? Right. And there's no mention of Elizabeth or her instant messages from hybrids. He wants us to believe... Um, that all of his fears came from Emma Woods' emails to him that he thought were from hybrids. No mention of this Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth, of course, had a blog. I think it was a private blog, but it was a blog uh, that talked about these hybrid IMs. And before, during the week, uh, prior to him releasing the statement, mysteriously, her blog disappeared. Of course, we have a copy of that blog, so we know it exists. Um, mm-hmm. But it disappeared, so that seems to me a concerted effort to hide some facts that look damning.
1: Well, hide something, you know, absolutely, yeah. Uh,
0: and also, it should be known that Emma Woods um, had started to do a rebuttal. Right? She she decided to piece it together, paragraph by paragraph, just sort of dissecting what he said um, instead of posting it all at once. Right. Fortunate part of that was that when she started doing that uh david jacobs then started changing his own response to her which again it's disingenuous he's not saying that that's what he's doing he in fact ends his rebuttal piece by saying um this is my last word on it this is my final word on it right um but he's seeing what she's writing and then he's changing his response accordingly so I'm I'm calling dirty pool on that one too.
1: Well, I, I don't I don't even know what that's about whether and I, and truthfully I haven't looked enough to to see because we just found that out today. Uh, I, I don't even know what's being changed uh, and, and if it is then then how detrimental is that to the whole excuse and or her explanation? Um, is is that being done to make her further look foolish or not? I don't know. I, I have not looked into that enough to know exactly what has been changed. But uh, I can tell you one thing: from here on out, we're going to be saving a copy of that blog on a daily basis. So it, I don't. I think it'll be changing again.
0: Yeah, and in fact, she has she found the original, and I believe she posted it on our website, I'm so you, you can see the changes for yourself. The other thing that he mentions that's interesting in that I find it to be inauthentic is that his friends who are in the mental health profession have looked at her case, um, looked at what he has said about it and decided that she probably has a borderline personality disorder. <laughs> and Jeff, I believe you've made some salient points to that end. So fire away.
1: Well, I mean, the, the, the point is, is that none of these people have met her. They are gaining only the information in which Dr. Jacobs is giving them about her and about his experiences with her uh, which is not a diagnosis uh, I, I mean I, I personally from the whole standpoint of saying that uh, said person has a mental uh, problem of some sort everybody needs to realize that this doctor is not a doctor of psychology, is not a doctor in the sense of a therapist. He is a history professor. That is what his doctorate is, uh, at least as far as I know, and uh, I, I've not seen anything different uh, about that. There, there is no. There's. It's baseless. There is no way that someone should be out there saying someone has a mental deficiency or a problem or an issue when they themselves cannot make that sort of diagnosis. They have no business making that. Henceforth, why I would say that we're referred to as Alice and uh, so forth. I mean, there, there's not uh, – let's put all confidentiality issues aside. Uh, if he had a real case here, he could out her in a heartbeat. He won't do that. Uh, and my reasoning for thinking that know is that you know, I've got to be able to say this woman's mentally unstable – Uh, and, and how am I going to do that? If I call somebody mentally unstable, I must give their name, correct? Uh, well, we can't do that if we have no basis on which to make that diagnosis, quote unquote. So that's my point is he has no business even saying that.
0: Well, that's right. And that's something someone had asked on our message board is, you know, we know her as Emma Woods. He refers to her in his rebuttal as Alice. Uh, is he outing her real name? And no, he's not. Alice is not her name. Yeah. And I think what he's doing is trying to make it difficult for people to know where to look for her side of the story.
1: I'll tell you where you look, down the rabbit hole, because I think that's his analogy right there. <laughs> right. But be that as it may, um, that that's the only thing I can say to that. I mean, it, it, this is uh, – this almost reminds me of the the Meyer Tree uh, scientists. <laughs> you know? Yeah, somebody Just, wrote that on our
0: message board. <laughs> really? You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you know, do they exist? Do they not? And if they do, do they know the whole story? Probably not. In in both cases, I don't I don't know. But uh, either way, if I consult uh, somebody uh, that I know, uh, they would say Jeremy is crazy. What? <laughs> And that's it. I mean, that's as easy as it can be right there. So, um, yeah. Yeah, this
0: is the thing that really bothers me is Distressing. That, yeah, I mean, the worst thing that you can find out uh, if you're an abductee uh, or the worst thing you can be threatened with is we'll, you know, say you're crazy. Right. Uh, and that's what he's doing here. I mean, that's – so why would you ever go to the these guys, Hopkins or Jacobs, who are just going to viciously tear you apart and try to make you look crazy um, if you don't like what they did with your brain.
1: Well, if you don't like – if you question their methodology at all. Uh, I mean I think that that's kind of where it went with this. I, I And I'll, I'll say this. I think – and I've told Emma this as well. I think that both of them, just based on what I've heard, it sounds to me like both of them got a little too absorbed into this. Uh, which we know that the paranormal has a tendency to do. Let's refer back to George Hansen yet again, uh, that it can suck you in, obsess you, and, uh, and and occupy pretty much your every waking thought. And at that point, it can take up a life of its own. Uh, I think that's probably what happened here. I don't know to what degree, but I think both of them were caught up in a, in a certain matter speaking. She desperate for help, uh, he becoming engrossed in in the story, um, God knows where it went from there. Uh, but the, but the real the real the thing that really bothers me about all of this is that uh, is number one is the use of hypnosis over the phone, the fact that this man has never met her face to face, and that this could all go so south as a result of that. So. This is what people need to think about when you go to these – either of these people um, that are the, 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 the paramount pinnacle researchers on this will be Hopkins and Jacobs is that disagree with the methodologies and be public about that. And this will be probably your answer
0: right?
1: It, is that you're crazy. Never mind that neither of them have the ability, the education – or uh, uh, you know the professional aptitude to level such a diagnosis or remark mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. Here's the bigger problem that, of course, speaks to larger problems within paranormal studies in general. Yeah. These two men have no business leveling that kind of remark. But not only that, they don't have any business doing the research um, uh, with the human mind in dealing with the human mind. Uh, so that's that's a big part of this. That's a big. Problem here. Well, you know, and the other problem that you run into with this is that when you do go public, it's going to be little you against iconic people in this field. Right. There's your other roadblock. And I think that's what Emma is faced with right now.
0: Well, one of the, it's funny, you know, one of the detractors on their forum, on the, the Paracast forum, early on had had said, you know, Jeremy Vaney is a a failed uh, MTV writer and Jeff Ritzman is a, uh, I'm a
1: guitarist with a filthy tradesman.
0: You're a guitarist. And so (laughs) what, what do they know about anything, you know, sort of thing. It's like, what, what are they doing here? Uh, why are we taking their word over Dr. Jacobs? And it's like, the more I think about that, the more correct they are, but too correct for their own good. It's like, yes, I am a writer. Jeff is a guitar player. Jacobs is a historian. Hopkins is an artist. Uh, Gene Steinberg, I think, is what, unemployed? And, um, well, I guess he's the only host of that show now, right? The only, so. Right, I don't know. Yeah. And then he has various bloggers. I mean, none of us are psychologists, psychiatrists. What are any of us doing here? Right. <laughs> so, you know, to, it, it just goes back to when you, you put doctor in front of somebody's name. Um, You just got to remember that that means that they went to school um, and earned a degree and are specialized in something. They're really, really intelligent about something, but that doesn't translate into anything holistic. It doesn't mean they're smart about everything or that we should just worship them or any of that. And I think we tried to bring that up in another episode and maybe did it poorly because I think there was some – there was at least one uh, listener who had – sort of didn't get what we were trying to say when we were saying, you know, doctors aren't smart. It's not that doctors aren't smart and aware. It's that we worship them too much. We worship, we we expect them to know too much about too many things and not uh, concentrate on their specialty. So Jacobs, well, I'm, I'm yeah. sure, is a brilliant historian. Oh, yeah. But a psychologist, he ain't. Should he be doing <laughs> hypnotherapy on people? No. And I, I find now in the paracast interview, he says, and I quote, in 24 years of doing this work, this is the first time anything like this has happened to me. The problem with that, referring to Emma Woods, the problem with that is that prior to this interview uh, that they did, I was talking to Emma and she said, you know, there's another woman who he used to tell me about and tell me she was crazy in the same way he's doing about me. I wonder if she's listening to any of this. You know, I wonder if she'll come forward. And, of course, we also know that Emma is um, friends with an anonymous uh, man who is also not enthused, let's say, with what Jacobs uh, has done with him. So we know that at least two people exist, or if we're to believe Emma, uh, we know that they exist, who aren't happy with what has happened to them, one of whom he has you know, been calling crazy. So in 24 years of doing this work, the first time that this has happened to him, I don't know. I think the first time definitely that, as you said, Jeff, anyone has publicly questioned his methods. I think this is the first time it's gotten that far. I would highly doubt that this is the first time anyone's been displeased with what's happened.
1: Well, Jerry, here's the really important part about Emma Woods. And this is, this is where we have to be really thankful for someone like her who documents everything that she recalled in working with Dr. Jacobs, everything that happened in the aftermath of this, all of that. The recordings, I mean, she's documented this to the hilt. So uh, I I think that's a great thing. I mean, one of the things that's been brought up, which we've talked about tonight, is, quote-unquote, she's crazy. Uh, I think I've said this enough on the message boards. It's irrelevant whether or not the woman has some sort of mental illness. Uh, I I don't personally believe she, she does, but I'm not a therapist either we've had her on this show people have heard her um heard her speak and and see that she's a fairly lucid individual um but as someone pointed out that's that's no sign that there's not something there okay that's that's a given N- nobody can tell this over a podcast or over one conversation but the point to make here is that she's documented all of this stuff and the other i think that people point out this whole thing of her Uh, contacting radio hosts that will be hosting Jacobs on their show or their podcast and all, they see that as, wow, that's really relentless. That means something's wrong with her. Let me give you the other side of that coin in that if something like this had happened to any of us listening to this program where we genuinely had documentation of what had gone on with us, what was said, what was done, recordings of our sessions recordings of our conversations and we knew that we were in the right here and that something had been done to us that had a detrimental effect on us i think any of us would be relentless to see that through and so i don't think it's fair to label her crazy just because she is trying to get some sort of movement or recognition in this community as to what happened to her and for someone to answer for it uh that doesn't speak to anyone being sick in the head that speaks also to someone who genuinely feels they're in the right, and something has been done wrong to them that's caused them uh, harm. Right. So let's make that point very clear. Uh, but in the end, it matters very little to the the overall sphere of the argument. Was there something? Was there wrongdoings here? I, I don't think that that speaks to that very very well.
0: Well, and part of a part that goes along with the critique that she must be crazy is that she released these audio tapes and you know, they could be edited because you know, that's what crazy stalkers do. Right. They edit tapes to make uh, their victim look bad to that end. Jacobs Jacob said on the Paracast episode, quote, they have to have been edited because my hypnosis sessions with her lasted from three to four hours. So I don't know how she can do that. I have not seen, I have not gone through everything. It's too hard for me, but the sessions I have heard have been edited. And I've not been able to go through her material one piece at a time. But my guess, my sense is obviously that it's been very heavily edited and that everything she has done tries to put me in a bad light, end quote. When asked about the tapes, um, Jacobs goes to the hypnosis tapes. But that's not what everyone's been harping on all these weeks. Everyone's been harping on that audio tape eight where most people seem to think that he is condescending to her he's not even addressing that No, (laughs) and he's not even really, he's saying he hasn't heard any of them. Uh, Basically he's saying the hypnosis sessions must have been edited for time (laughs) right? because they couldn't, she couldn't possibly have posted three to four hour sessions. So, you know, there's a lot wrong there in my book. I mean, again, he's had two years of accusations by a crazy stalker that he hasn't gone through. He hasn't, what, gone through her, all of her material? I mean, we've gone through her material in, like, weeks. What's taken two years to – so he's just saying, obviously, it's been edited. <laughs> yeah. You put me in a bad light. Well, you, you don't even know which <clears throat> tapes we're all talking about, and you don't even know that they are edited because you haven't listened to them.
1: Well, I'll say this about Conversation 8 just because that seems to be the one that, that holds the big bone of contention for everybody. Uh, If you and anyone can do this, if you drop that uh, that MP3 file, uh, I think that's available on her website into any any audio editing program, you can look at the noise level on that. And I think that everybody pretty much knows that when you edit things together, um, you get weird syllables that pop out and someone talked like this and, you know, you get that. That juttering, jumping sound when you try to edit phrases and/or words separated by other words, and and make that try and make that into some cohesive sentence. I don't think that's what we're hearing here. Uh, when you listen to that, and you listen to the background noise, that background noise during the the, the contiguous conversation does not change. There is no uh, there is no break in that. Uh, the only breaks that you find is when personal information and or pertinent names are removed, which I give her credit for doing because if I were in her position, I'd be outing people. Um, So I think we're hearing a contiguous conversation there. Anybody can open these up and examine the waveform and see these are pretty much untouched aside from the simple pullouts of names and or specific personal data.
0: Right. And this whole thing of tapes being edited... This gets back to something that must be critiqued um, with Gene Steinberg here. Uh, because for weeks, he's been talking about, well, these tapes could have been edited. They could have been edited. And when Jacob said that, Gene then said on his forum, aha, see, even Jacobs thinks they could have been edited. So by sort of agreeing and using what Jacob said as his aha moment, he is basically admitting that he too has not listened to to the audio tapes because he would know (laughs) that we're not talking about the hypnosis sessions. Right. We're talking about that audio tape eight. And this to me gets into a real problem because MSNBC and Fox news, um, they're sort of like rival networks and they go at each other. But when it comes down to the actual citing of sources, if Fox is the news source, MSNBC will cite them and vice versa. But Gene won't do that with us because I, I guess we're, what, a rival show? I don't know what the deal is um, because we don't actually have a beef with him. We had a, a beef with the ex-host and he's gone, so we should all just get along. Uh, hmm. Now, this, this is a problem because the whole reason that they had this roundtable discussion about hypnosis in the first place was, again, because we brought the Emma Woods thing to light. And we made the use of hypnosis as a valid tool for memory retrieval an issue again mm-hmm. in a big way with the Lillian Feld episode. So essentially the Paracast is trying to sort of chase us in that sense. I mean, I don't, I don't want to make it sound petty, but I, I think that's kind of what it is. It's like people listen to our show and then went to their Hall of Fame or Hall of Shame forum and said, Hey, why is Jacobs still in the Hall of Fame when all of this, you know, are you guys paying attention to even what's going on here? And the answer was, yes, yes, we're on top of it. But they clearly weren't. Like, Gene clearly has not listened to these tapes. He's clearly just defending sort of off the cuff for what he thinks sounds right uh, as a defense. So, oh, tapes? They're edited. You know, it's like uh, – and then to me this gets even more convoluted and just wrong-headed because Gene used to be a reporter, so he should know these things. And one of the things he should know is to not lie. right? Because that's going to bite you in the butt. And in my opinion, he did lie during this episode. And that's just my opinion. You may see it differently. But, um, you know, let me just show you what I'm talking about here. He says to Jacobs, quote, let me ask you a left field question that occurred to me about the hypnotic regression. Does it always have to be done in person? Can you do this on the phone? Or have you ever done it on the phone? End quote. Now, anyone who has listened to our show knows that or read any, you know, our responses on our forum knows that we have so been over the hypnosis on the phone thing that it's become its own cliche almost, you know, Mm -hmm. the fact that he's doing hypnosis on the phone. In fact, it was such a big, it became such a big deal that Jacobs felt the need himself to address that in his rebuttal online. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has this whole bit about why it's okay that he's doing hypnosis over the phone. That is directly related. All of this is directly related to having to answer to the stuff that we have brought up and that Emma has brought up. So for Gene to say that this is a left field question that's just occurring to him now, it doesn't make sense even in the context of the discussion they were having that he would just all of a sudden out of nowhere think, hey, I've got a question. Are you doing hypnosis on the phone? I mean, how would that even occur to somebody to ask? (laughs) Um, so instead of citing us, instead of saying, you know, one thing that, that Peritopia has harped on over and over again is this hypnosis thing on the phone. Is that true? You know, he didn't do that because right. we're this rival network apparently. I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. But again, I think that that is uh, – I call foul on that. That's That that ain't no good. I I don't,
1: I don't know. I don't know if I call it lie. I think it's it's more along the lines of you know, just what you said. It's just, you know we're going to ignore the rival station here because we can. I don't I don't know that I'd be comfortable saying lie in that sense, but uh, it's it's disingenuous to say the least. I think uh, in that sense, I I, I don't know. I, I mean.
0: So, you think that this question occurred to him about hypnotic regression?
1: No, I absolutely don't. So, that would be a lie. Uh, well, <laughs> well, okay. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I have a problem anytime I, I say that because, you know, we don't know the inner workings of whatever somebody's thinking, but I find it to be disingenuous. I think absolutely that's where it came from. It wasn't a left field question. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, and th- but this has been just about for everything. I mean, when you when we did the Lillienfeld episode, all of a sudden on the Paracast board, that seemed to be the main topic of conversation to the point where a new thread had to be started by one of the moderators there to house all of the discussion that was being talked about when it came to regression hypnotherapy. That seemed a little weird to me. It's like, why wouldn't you come here and talk about that? Uh, no, they, they're going to talk amongst themselves on that board because we're just evil, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's leftover animosity from from the old war uh, now since past, but uh, I, I can't say I'm surprised, Jeremy. I'm not surprised by the notion that that we latched on to something here that, that needed addressed, and it's something that, uh, frankly, I think goes all the way back to... The first time that they had um, Hopkins and Jacobs on the show, essentially treating them like ufological royalty, and then later on having uh, an experiencer on who was decidedly against hypnotherapy, and both hosts at the time seemed to be edging that person on to, hey, get some regression done and and try a Hopkins or a Jacobs. So there's a certain amount of, we can't talk about that. Uh, because to do that would put them in a bad light. Based on what's going on, I think we can tell that that uh, uh, at least the remaining host seems to want to put himself in, in in the best light possible. Whether it's right or wrong, that's where he wants to be. So I don't know. Self preservation. Uh, uh, you know, not promoting another show. I don't. Who knows what what that's all about. My my biggest problem is. We've got uh, a really serious issue, and, and we're right back to the same old cliche in ufology. No one is working together. Everyone just wants to ignore everyone else, and this is mine, and I take ownership of this, and uh, I mean...
0: Well, that's it, the thing. If we were all It's, just, working, it's so
1: goddamn immature sometimes. It's like, what about high school? This years.
0: is such a, a, a great subject to finally latch onto in where if we were all Doing our jobs here or working together or working toward truth instead of, like you would say, uh, going for the brass ring. Right. We could really get, get to the bottom of this maybe, but we could definitely change some people's minds about the uh, validity of hypnosis. And maybe sooner than later, it will just be a defunct tool except amongst the crazies. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, um, but this, this sort of like trying to take ownership of a subject matter and – trying to one-up each other and all that. I mean, that, that's just that's just more noise. But I do want to leave it on this happy note. Um, Jacob's My favorite Jacob's quote from the uh, Paracast episode uh, about hypnosis, where he says, quote, The sessions are not quite as good, and they're not as thorough, but they're satisfactory for the person remembering the experience. That's what he has to say about <laughs> hypnosis over the phone. Now, right. Emma Woods... Um, I believe it was Emma and Elizabeth, right, were going to be the subject of his next book uh, that that he, he had done hundreds of hours.
1: That's the way I understood it, yeah.
0: Yeah, of, of hypnosis over the phone with her. So she is the one – she is the person he has done the most over-the-phone hypnosis with by his own admission. So his book, I guess, would not be quite as good or as thorough because it would be based on all of this over-the-phone hypnosis business. But then – satisfactory for the person remembering the experience? Well, I guess not for the person who had the most of it in the history of Jacob's sessions. So, I, I don't know. I found that to be comical on a couple of levels.
1: Yeah. Well, I find the whole damn thing pretty comical. Uh, I, I, I think one of the things I find more comical than anything is that we still have people who, list, who have listened to both shows. I mean, obviously, still saying to me, uh, do you mean to throw out all of the hypnotically retrieved stuff from abduction research? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> yes, yes, and and someone asked me that today, and I can't remember who it was, but that they came on the board and they said, "Is that is that really what we're talking about here?" Yes, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> when when you've got a man of Dr. Lillenfeld's caliber, who you will never know how hard it was to get him to come on the show. I mean he literally said, yes, I'll do it. And then I didn't hear from him for a while because he got busy with his own schedule. And then when I contacted him again, he said, you know, I'm going to have to pass because I just don't think we're going to find any common ground in our discussion. Um, and I said, well, I think you'd be surprised uh, and, and let me try to convince you. And and eventually he did come on. And when he did come on, it was a great show. Uh, because this is something that I've been harping on since about 90, 91 and I was uh, I, I will never forget my wife can attest to this. Uh, I gave a lecture in DC and I brought up this as a bad point in researching uh, you know abductions. Uh, I mentioned everything from cultural contamination to pleasing the therapist to leading questions uh, to just how fallible this is. And I would say a good, 7 to 10% of the audience got up and walked out to mumbles. The rest of them applauded it. So, this is not by any stretch a new comment. This is not a new wrinkle. It's just that I think Lillenfeld is one of the first people. And let me, let me do this before anybody gets their panties in a wedge. Um, I certainly was not the first person to call out hypnotherapy as an invalid tool by any stretch. Uh, but I have been harping on it for years now. And so, Uh, To get someone of of Scott's caliber on here to talk about that was, for me, a major achievement to get someone from – well, someone as high up in the psychological community as he is to discuss this. And yet to still have people going, is this what this really means? We have to throw all that out? Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's precisely what it means. It's not worth anything. I mean I gave the analogy today to one of our listeners that you know, if you were uh, someone that I hired and I had an accident investigation uh, team that went out and assessed how an accident happened and they were all out of state jobs and you went out and for, I don't know, one time you'd go and you'd do an amazingly factual job. And then the next time you just drive from my office down to the nearest Dunkin' Donuts and make it up. How is someone going to tell the difference? Okay, you cannot qualify anything gotten from regression hypnotherapy. People say, well, what about the police? What about uh, in terms of a crime scene thing? You're talking about a completely different circumstance. You're talking about a memory that does exist from a traumatic point, maybe whether it be a robbery, murder, rape, what have you. I don't know what the scenario would be for something like that. We're talking about in, an incredibly subjective, suggestible state. And, uh, uh, you know, as far I, – I would like to get Scott back on at some some future point and ask him about what about murder, crime scene, stuff like that that's really recent, really fresh. Well, is that it,
0: admissible in court?
1: Uh, no. So again, maybe that's not worth anything either. But let's let's make the definitive separation here between a paranormal experience and a robbery that may have happened less than 3 or 4 days ago. I mean there's a definitive difference there. Let's not kid ourselves, okay? That that's that's the problem I have is that this is a is a very dangerous practice and Scott has told us this point blank. It's it's disturbing what is going on in this community with it and it's disturbing uh, how, how prevalent and how uh, cavalier it's being used. And so do I mean let's dismiss it all? Yes, that's what I mean. Um, so someone asked a very good point, which maybe we'll address in a future show. Where, where do we go from here? What, what do we do? Um, h- how do we get at any of these memories that are so buried that they can't be gotten to? Well,
0: why do we have to?
1: Well, I don't know that we do. I, I think one of the things that that Bud said during the Paracast episode that kind of made me laugh was like, uh, "Well, hypnosis may not be a, a really a great tool, but neither is just sitting down and talking to someone." Have you tried that? <laughs> because I've tried it, and let me tell you something: I, I've had I've had some pretty good success with that, especially when you get into a situation where. You're throwing away the standard forms that someone fills out. You know, In other words, what were you doing that night? What did you have for dinner? Uh, what color was the object? What color were the beings? Were there beings? Do they have a dog? I mean, all of that. When you throw that away and you just talk to someone or you take them, as Jacques Vallée uh, said to me on the phone, what, what, what if you just take that person and you have a cup of coffee and you talk to them, you talk to them not like an investigator, but just talk to them, and you maybe take a walk uh, or take a drive to where their particular event happened, and just talk to them. you will be surprised what you can get out of it. Uh, it may be a something as simple as I seem to remember something about uh, you know a triangle i don 't know what that means, but I, f- I feel like I've seen a triangle here, okay. That may seem completely innocuous at the time, but that may later on, as you, as you develop the relationship with this, this person that you're investigating their case, that may prove to be a valuable insight into something. This is not done – hypnotherapy speaks to me as the problem with ufology uh, in a broader sense. We want the instant answer. We want the magic key that's going to open that door. We want the answer now, and we're entitled to it. None of that is true. None of it. It takes work to investigate, and you know, the the magic key of hypnosis is not the magic key. And here's another thing about Bud that I found really interesting that he said on the Paracast show was, and, and I'm not going to quote or anything, but he's referring to collecting symbols that have been seen within abduction experiences by people that he deals with some of his subjects, I guess, research subjects. And, uh, and he says, you know, he's collected so many of these things, and he considers this an important piece of physical evidence.
0: What? Did he say physical evidence?
1: Yes! That's what I heard. If I'm wrong, somebody out there correct me, but that's an important piece of physical evidence. I, I don't, huh. What? Jeremy, how is that physical evidence? Um... Wow. That's not a that's not a piece of anything,
0: Jeff. Have you ever been inside a craft?
1: <sighs> I don't know.
0: Well, then you don't know, do you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not physical evidence. God, these people will define anything as long as it suits what they want to say. I, I mean, really, that, that's that's it for me. You know, it, you know,
0: ufology you you reminds me of sometimes when I used to get into quote unquote philosophical debates with mm-hmm. a friend in college who would argue that uh that that anything is possible uh including chairs talking and lightning being a god because you can imagine it it can happen Ugh. i mean it really is like the same faulty premise stuff that we're working except now uh we've got a field dedicated to that
1: yeah <laughs> wow Aren't whatever
0: we, all- we want to be can be mm, i'm sorry what And along those lines, uh, the thing that I I found uh, sadly ironic was that were they not both arguing at some point in there for um, standards in the field of (laughs) production research (laughs) because they were sick of amateurs? Right. Which they are.
1: Well, and, and again, standards. Standards. It's like Hansel? Hansel? Uh, I, I, you know, shouldn't this, you know, have come up back in the eighties? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, and, and how do you standardize uh, what you're doing when 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 what you're doing is not a legitimate form of research? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not feeling that. Now all of a sudden we're going to standardize things because. Of what? Why all of a sudden the the fire under the ass to to standardize investigations? I I don't understand that.
0: Well, I don't know even how you do a roundtable show, and one of the guys who's being accused of the awful things that Emma is accusing him of uh, is saying we need standards, and you just sit silently and and don't <laughs> don't say I- I'm sorry. What?
1: Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> Aren't you the reason that we need standards?
1: I don't think there's anything wrong with having standards providing that you um providing that you have a framework to start with. And we we don't have that. I mean, who's going to enforce the standard?
0: The standard is don't do hypnosis. That's the standard.
1: Yeah, there's the standard. Yeah. And and that, I'm I'm sure right now there's somebody laying on a couch somewhere having hypnotic regression done on for alien abduction. You know, it's not going to work. Standardizing something that that out there is, is not going to work. I mean, uh, number one, who's going to enforce it? Number two, if somebody comes forward with something that's not of the standardization but certainly uh, gives everybody a great story, do you think they're not going to listen? Do you think they're not going to refer to that? That's it, yeah, just a mess. I mean, give me a break. You and If you were going to standardize something, you should have done it decades ago.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it, you can regulate your diet so that your crap comes out regular but you're still well, crapping.
1: <laughs> the end. Leave, leave it to leave it to Jeremy. With the great analogies. I'm sure we'll get lots of poop hate email. That's right. Next week.
0: And besides, who can who can standardize anything Daryl Sims is doing? <laughs> <laughs> now that you've brought up uh, Bud Hopkins, you know, maybe we should move on to uh, a, a letter I got from uh, Carol Rainey. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you have anything else you'd like to address in the paracast episode, I, I don't because they basically the Emma Wood stuff was like I said the first five minutes and then a couple of minutes at the end, and the debate in between was superfluous because we covered it with Lillian Yeah,
1: well, that was just another attempt, I think, to ignore what had already been established. I mean, that's again the problem is uh, you know when when you when you go through the the time and trouble to put an issue on the table uh, it would be nice to see if somebody somebody picked that up and take it up a notch or, or walk up the next step with it and that clearly didn't happen with that so
0: yeah what can you say? And, well and just to give a concrete example again so it doesn't just look like we're you know poking fun or something um, you know essentially they were making arguments from within the ufological box so it was things like well what about um, what about the fact that these aliens um, are, are using uh, genetic testing that, that is already outdated by our standards, and they've been doing it for 50 years, and why does it take so long? <laughs> you know, all those sorts of questions. It's like, yeah. I, no, here's the deal. All you need to know is what Dr. Lilienfeld said, which is you're using a behavior modification tool as a memory retrieval tool <laughs> right. that does not yield you any more or less truth than getting somebody drunk. I mean, that's... I think once you know that, then there's no point in having a debate uh, It's masturbatory,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: um, I mean, I think
1: that point really needs to be driven home because y- you know people listening out there, you need to know this, this is the way it is it, it, you know I mean there's no two ways about it. We know that this is painful, uh, especially to those who have had regression done and 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 Jeremy, let's remember what. Uh, Dr. Lillenfeld said about the people who have this procedure done that sometimes the memories that they recall which are likely, in all likelihood, a complete you know, fabrication of their own mind nevertheless, it seems very real to them and therefore, as Scott said it changes who that person is because now they believe something and remember it as if it's a real memory that's that's where the problem runs in with this is that people in their heart seen, of – We've seen this
0: with Emma Woods. This right, is exactly what right. you said. We
1: feel like this is – like when they hear us say, this didn't happen to you, their mind is saying, I remember this. I know this happened. And it's going to – that's going to be a tough nut to crack uh, over the years uh, to to keep on this I think is – uh, only to be vigilant against uh, against kidding ourselves about this entire experience so let, let's let's just put that out there and say we know this isn't easy to understand or to hear, but it's going to be for the betterment of what we're all interested in, which is what is going on
0: right And one person who is really interested in what is going on and someone who has a probably a more interesting perspective than you or I is Carol Rainey. Um, she is the co-author of Sight Unseen with Bud Hopkins, and she was uh, married to him for 10 years. So who knows Bud better than any <laughs> than hmm. any of us? That would be Carol Rainey. Um, and I had actually emailed her and said, hey, would you listen to this Emma Woods episode and specifically the letter that Bud wrote to her and give me your thoughts? And, and I've asked Carol to come on the show a number of times, and she won't do it because she she really fears saying anything bad about bud or his work because she knows that as the ex wife, um, people will attack her as the jilted ex mm. or the spiteful ex or whatever. Um, but I think that she was, well, she must've been pretty disturbed by what she heard because she wrote me the following letter and said, you can print it or read it on the air, do whatever you want with it.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: So here's that. She said, uh, and I, you know, asked her, what do you make of bud's letter? She says Bud's needing to use the initial D to refer to the elephant in the room. David Jacobs, the subject at hand, is indicative of the level of both grandiosity and paranoia that can often, unfortunately, overtake researchers in fringe areas like the paranormal and UFOs. George Hansen's book, The Trickster in the Paranormal, does a compassionate take on how researchers who skate on the edge of a volatile and unprovable topic can often fall down Alice's rabbit hole and not even perceive that they are no longer operating in the consensus reality that the rest of us use to navigate by. So it's already funny that she's mentioning George Hansen. I didn't even know uh, that she was a George Hansen fan. She goes on, George is actually more compassionate about that fact than I am, perhaps because I lived with it as part of my life for 10 years and saw up close and personal how much unintended damage can be done by people with no professional training in psychiatry or the intricate workings of the human brain, neurophysiology being an area that every UFO researcher should keep current in. Neither Jacobs nor Hopkins has interest in science or medicine. Their area of interest lies in being right. I was actually present at a dinner on Cape Cod where Jacobs vacations several houses down the road from Hopkins, at which David said with great certainty that he and Bud were the only two people on the planet. On the planet! She says (laughs) that with exclamation marks who knew the truth about the alien abduction phenomenon, about what's really going on. And that's in quotes, what's really going on. I recall gasping and saying, My God, Dave, don't you think you're in dangerous territory when you genuinely believe you're the only person who knows, quote-unquote, the truth? But my question was never addressed by either one. Evidently, the story of my life, I was out of line. The grandiosity in both men is fairly obvious in both the taped interviews and in Bud's letter. Both men essentially say that Emma Wood's feelings that Jacobs is the only person who can help me is quite accurate, and that if she challenges their version of the truth in any way, she's going to find herself up the proverbial creek without an escape paddle. There is only one true way, the Jacob Hopkins way. Anyone who challenges their interpretation of this phenomenon or the best way to deal with abductees will be rebuffed with enormous fury and the aggrieved outrage of of the unjustly accused. As your program mentioned, there is some part of Dungeons & Dragons going on here. I'd add also a degree of folie adieu between this researcher and his subject. They're both caught up in it, and based on their interminable conversations and inability to extricate themselves, there's classic transference and possibly counter-transference also occurring. Cue the drums. That should be a signal to a trained therapist, and one who is in constant analysis himself that the relationship has entered territory that can be extremely injurious to the patient. This kind of work is the equivalent of using a blunt instrument like a can opener, the non-medical researcher-slash-hypnotist, to take the top off the skull of some damaged person and then finding out that there aren't any instruments in their kit bag to sew it back on. Neither of these researchers is willing to admit to being victim of, ho- of a hoax. There are many, many reasons for people to hoax, and in this Elizabeth Emma case, I've seen that type too in our home, There's likely jealousy that a new case, a new abductee, is taking center stage in the researcher's heart. Bud certainly has been victim of hoaxes, one of them being the Jim Mortellaro case, which was a really wild game involving electronically altered voices on the answering machine and phony doctor's letters. But it took his foundation's entire board of advisors to get him to even minimally acknowledge it in in a website posting. But he refused to ever meet with the concerned individuals who had suggestions for remedying a situation in which a lone researcher decides that an over-the-top case is bona fide. There have been others that will be exposed. You were correct in predicting that. She then emailed me a little bit more about the Jim Mortolaro case, if you want to hear that. Yeah. Okay. She says, The Jim Mortolaro case was one with elaborate claims made by the abductee that a large group of doctors and research scientists north of the city were secretly doing an elaborate study of Jim and other abductees and wanted the assistance of Mr. Hopkins. Jim, using an electronically altered voice, called and left messages for Mr. Hopkins as a female doctor, so-and-so, among other multiple personas, that were adopted by the hoaxers in hopes of attracting Bud with an an alluring story. And it worked. Bud went on several radio programs with Jim and spoke nationwide about the case and its implications for the field at various UFO conferences. You might still be able to find remnants of the Jim or James Mortolaro case online, For a brief shining moment, here was an alleged abductee who had a star presence in a small community. He was noticed, paid attention to, admired, and exclaimed over. And he had a well-known UFO researcher holding an unwavering belief in the merits of his case, right up until the researcher was literally forced by the Intruders Foundation Board to acknowledge that he would no longer work with this unreliable man. None of the above is confidential, since all of it and more was in the publicly available radio shows, online interviews, and the massive amount of self-promotion that Jim himself did online, posting an alleged letter written by his doctor, for example, who was testifying to the horrible physical mangling that Jim had undergone at the hands of aliens and going on at length in language and style no doctor would ever use in a public document. At one <laughs> time, at one time, the Intruders Foundation posted briefly a statement of Bud's withdrawal from the case, although it was soon taken down. Yet in the scientific noosphere. Uh, spread rapidly through cyberspace, this particular case, an ingenious hoax, still exists for many listeners, readers, admirers of the UFO pioneers as one more notch in the truth belt of the UFO phenomenon. So, Jeff, what do you make of that?
1: The only two people on the planet, on the planet, (laughs) that
0: that know,
1: huh? Ugh. Yeah. Uh Uh-uh. What, what do you say about it? I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's just uh, – isn't it just testament to how screwed up this whole mess is? Um, it's no wonder people walk away from it. It's no wonder that – it really is just such a mess. And
0: uh, Well, here here's the thing. My favorite quote is, neither Jacobs nor Hopkins has interest in science or medicine. Their area of interest lies in being right, which – I think is you could replace their names with 99 point nine percent of anyone in ufology, and yeah. the sentence is still valid. So I think that's interesting, you know yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I, I think um, I think unfortunately that um, good researchers who are genuinely after something in an intellectually honest way are an extreme rarity I think and, and here's something that's going to sound strange coming from me. One of the, uh, I would say, probably uh, one of the only things I ever remember Dave Biedny saying to me that I really thought was a brilliant statement.
0: Reincarnation of Christ!
1: No. Oh. Oh, that was hysterical. Was that if you treat this subject with any kind of seriousness uh, and passion within that seriousness, you are in the minority. And I think that's… Like a really smart thing to say, and it's very true, and I think he put it in, in a, great, a great framework right there, is that you know, you're know you going to be successful if you play the game. If you uh, cater to what the public expects or desires, you're going to be successful. If you play ball with everyone in the field and play nice with everyone, you're going to get invited to a lot of lectures. You're going to make your speaking fees. You're going to get your books sold so on and so forth. Right or wrong, Jeremy, you've, you've kind of witnessed this here and there, correct? Correct. Okay. you
0: got to play the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, and that goes all the way down, not just for speaking engagements and book sales and all that, but that goes right down to doing inve- actual investigative work. You have to play nice with a, a researcher who has a case that you'd like to examine yourself and maybe work in tandem with them. If you go in with a knife saying, you've got to let me look at this because I don't believe what you're coming up, that you're not going to get anywhere in this. Um, but anyway, one of the things I, I did was I wrote up this article, which is yet to be published. I, I, maybe I'll throw it out on associated content or maybe I'll just put it up on our homepage. But I want to, I want to just read this thing because for me, this sums up exactly how I feel at this point uh, with this because I, I genuinely feel like we're at a crossroads at least with the ufological uh, part of abduction research or maybe ufology in general, we're at this crossroads where we're seeing what has long been perceived as very iconic researchers and their their methods and their data being questioned more now than it ever has been. The problem is, is that in equal amounts, we see more of what used to be called the lunatic fringe being more public than ever before. So there's this, you know, there's there's this problem of spending more time in the field regurgitating facts to combat what what Jeremy and I call the woo factor. Um, You know, 10, 12 years ago, that was the minority. That felt, at least to me, like the minority. Whereas, you know, my favorite analogy, Dungeons and Dragons with the sci-fi thematic, you know, where you're participants of ufology right now are playing a game of role from like a writer to the 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 psychopath to the participant uh and those people who refuse to play along with that you either get labeled a debunker you're a troublemaker or in the more ridiculous notions you're government operative (laughs) okay there's your options so ultimately the question for me is to everybody out there who's listening to this uh, and that includes the disgruntled hero-worshipping masses of, of, of Hopkins and Jacobs. It's, here's the question, and this I'm going to read this directly from what I wrote. Do you want to further this study to the next level and remove it from the hands of those who would color it with their own ideologies, water it down for mass consumption and capital gain, and use flawed methods of data gathering, or examine this with some assemblage of intellectual honesty and innovation, both to the phenomenon and to yourself? You're only kidding yourself. It's kind of like the smoker who quits smoking and he says, "Ah, I'm just going to have one and he's been off of them for two weeks. You you know, nobody's going to know. Yeah, nobody's going to know, but you'll know. (laughs) You'll know you screwed up. Uh, So we have to not only be honest about the data that we're gathering, no matter how bizarre, no matter how unbelievable, but we have to be honest with ourselves. It's like if you've gotten – a year into a case, and all of a sudden something comes up that says, this is not valid, you got to bone up and go, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. Look what I found. No good. Move on. You know, this is this is what has to happen. And so to those people who say, do we have to throw it all out? Again, my answer is yes. And we have to find different ways to approach this, different ways to view it. And Jeremy, I think that we've talked enough about um, and I think you, you brought up uh in a in a real solid way that uh some of these abduction researchers follow a a pattern based on who you would go see, Hopkins, Jacobs, slash, Mac, whoever, you would then fall into some kind of category as yeah. to what you would re- remember or what, what type of, of experience would so was Whether it
0: was a positive or a negative experience. Yeah.
1: Right. And so I think, number one, that should speak volumes to everyone as a clue. But not only that, it just becomes this it, a game at that point. It's a game. It's, not, it's no longer research. Well, it's, once
0: again, uh, it's, look at the, just look to the Emma Woods case as your example because here we have a concrete example mm-hmm. of how a story is co-created by the therapist and the client mm-hmm. according to the authority figure. Of course, that would be the therapist. According <laughs> to the authority figure's narrative. They're both creating the story here, but it's his bent that gets overlaid onto that or uh, weaved throughout. And, you know, if you were to go to, um, you know, like a Dr. Leo Sprinkle, you're going to get a whole different type of narrative, um, perhaps using the same characters. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be a completely different bent, a completely different feeling to it. Same thing with John Mack. Same thing. Uh, with even Bud Hopkins. I mean, even I mean, there's a reason that Hopkins and Jacobs don't completely agree on the severity of what's going on. And I think that's because they don't have the same amount of fear about what the, the sort of end result of this whole hybrid thing is. And so, I mean, Jacobs is so adamant about it that, voila, he gets information right. that validates that. And Hopkins is not quite, so voila, he gets uh Something that's a little bit more, I don't know, middle-of-the-road terror.
1: (laughs) Right, 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 right. And I I think – and here's the other thing that I I wanted to bring up earlier and forgot about. I think that when we're talking about major figures in research within this quote-unquote field, if you can even call it that, is that the name, the book, uh, the icon dictates the importance of the information. That's a problem. I I go back again to Terrence McKenna in a, in a recent lecture that I heard him talking about. He really addressed uh, UFOs. I mean, I think Jeremy, you had uh, the first ever recording I ever heard of Terrence talking about UFOs back on the Culture of Contact website, and I listened to it and I go, my God, this is brilliant. This is this is so the weirdness I've been talking about, and that led us down a whole different path. Um, this must have been a much later. Uh, recording of him where uh, he had come to much different conclusions. He said, There is a uh, the, the, the UFO or the flying saucer is a twofold problem. Uh, the, the, the one problem is the UFO, and the way he puts it, who knows what that is? And he says, And then the other problem is the UFO community, which is some of the most crack brained, mush minded people you'd ever hope to meet. They give themselves funny names and wear tiaras. And it's, tr- it's true. It's true. He said that he encountered a man. Now, I don't know who this is. It could have been any of the people we're talking about or none of the people we're talking about here tonight. But he said he met a man who had interviewed 500 women who had had uh, embryos removed from their bellies. And he says he tells this story with a gleam in his eye. And he says, and he leans over to me, he says, Terrence, you wouldn't believe it. There's not a mark on any of them from the removal of the fetus. And and Terrence cocks his head over and he says, and what does that tell you? And the reply is, that they have surgical procedures we can't even dream of. <laughs> really? That's, that's it? Okay. Whoa. Again, just because someone is an icon, just because someone is a... A long-standing person in this field. Hell, I don't even think you should listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm one of these people. I believe pretty much like, uh, um, like Terrence once one time said, was believe nothing past your own direct experience. Uh, I think that's damn good advice. But uh, to hang your belief system on a well-known researcher's data and to take it at face value is a dangerous practice to me. And I think that we found that out in years past. I don't know why it's so hard to get through to this particular facet of this. It's going to, like I said, from here on out, it's going to be a tough nut to crack. I I just think that, again, we need to quest for, for better. We need to quest for more. And we cannot be afraid to heavily question icons within the field and what they present and question their methodologies. These people are not infallible. Doctors, PhDs are not infallible. So, I mean, I think that's that's kind of where I leave it. I mean, what, what do you think, Jeremy? I mean, is, is, does that sum it up well enough?
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think um, a little bit later when I share with you some of my oddness as of late, you're going to see just how crazy and not straightforward and not hybrid aliens this all really is. You know. So I think when you – well, and I guess going by Jeff, don't believe it. But if you were to believe it, um, I mean, weigh it against what you know, which is on the one hand, you've got guys like us saying this is high strangeness. There's something highly strange going on here um, that we can't quite define. And then I'll give you my example of it well, uh, versus the cookie cutter dream of these guys who are now involved in a scandal.
1: I mean, right. Well, I mean – it it's it's been pretty much i think a given that and and again i refer back to one of your old culture contact uh, episodes i think you pretty much found out that when at least these two researchers i'm i'm thinking it's probably these two encountered the high strangeness they threw it out right that was not included as part of the overall picture uh that right there throws the whole thing into very suspect territory for me when you're when you're picking and choosing your data that's that's not acceptable i uh, want
0: to i want to leave this subject and move on on a different note because mm-hmm. i know that jacobs is listening i know that he's listening to this so i want to ask dr david jacobs since he won't come on the show what is it that you're afraid of I re- I really because the the book you know uh, his last book on all of the hybrid stuff was called The Threat, and so there are these aliens right, and they're they're creating hybrids us and them, so that they can infiltrate society. And what is it that they want to do exactly? If we are to look at anything they've said or done, well, they want to get rid of nuclear bombs, right? <laughs> and they care about global warming. So basically, the thing that we're afraid of is making the planet better or society better. I mean, like, if you had some sort of alien overlord that was the, <laughs> the psychic thing in control of us, and we were like the puppets to this puppet master, what exactly would that puppet master be doing with us? Huh. Anything bad? I mean, what what good are we doing? I, I don't know. So I would question what, what the fear is, even on... The terms of oh my god there's an invasion going on oh my god these aliens they they want us to get rid of nukes and take care of the earth run I mean, well, I'm- I'm- <laughs> the this is phil and brogno paranormal investigator and scientist sometimes you're listening to jeff and jeremy on paratopia I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, do you want to move on to a viewer mail or listener mail?
1: Okay, listener mail, right? So let's do this. Uh, This comment comes from Brian. Brian says, hi, guys. I love the Phil and Brogno episode. I always love listening to Phil. I've read a couple of his books as well. I really want to get in on this field trip. And then he goes on to say where he lives, and he says he has a car, and he wants to go. Is there room? Well, we haven't really made that determination yet, have we? I mean we've gotten a lot of people who say, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in.
0: Well, here's what uh, we did say. What we said was anyone who says uh, I'd like to go in the thread um, will do a drawing. But if okay. someone lives up near the area and has a car, they can go and I will uh, let them know where we meet up. Right. Um, anyone else, it would just be carpooling. Um, usually we rent a minivan or – a car or something like that, you know, depending on how many people are going to go. And then we leave for Manhattan and and go meet Phil at a designated location. Right. Um, I'll
1: probably drive up on my own because I'm afraid of mass transit.
0: (laughs) Then you will be driving (laughs) me and everyone will be on their own. Right.
1: (laughs) Uh, Uh, We
0: haven't even figured out when, I mean, you know, we, uh, we should, we should do that soon because we definitely want to not be there at the peak of say mosquito weather.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would be true. That would be true. Um, as an aside though, Phil and Brogno, a really good interview. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that, and I enjoyed uh, everything that he brought up, uh, which brings us to one of the next feedbacks that we got from Peter, who says, it's impossible to have a boring interview with Phil and Brogno, but you guys pulled it off. The downfall <laughs> of the show was to concentrate on the endless generalizing. You need a proportion of at least 50% specific case histories to make a show interesting. I have total respect for Mr. Imbrogno and consider him one of the most intelligent people in the field. He has tons of interesting case details to share. Why didn't we get to hear them? I know he's spoken a lot about Hudson Valley, which I never get tired of hearing about, but at least we could have heard the details of his most recent cases. I am sorry to say the train really derailed on this one. A real contrast, contrast, excuse me, with your absolutely stellar Emma Woods tapes show, so please more case history details with your interviews. Well, Pete, here's the problem: we we did have Phil on the show before. This is the second time he's been on, right, Jeremy? Yes. And um, uh, the first uh, the first show we did with him did go over a hell of a lot of case data. And if I remember correctly, uh, he did go over one of his most recent ghost investigative uh, discussions with a man uh, who saw the uh, 18th century uh, person on the ice uh, out in the lake by his home. So we did get a little bit about that, but what we really wanted to talk to him about was the notion of high strangeness, uh, the idea that it's uh, not apropos to talk about this (laughs) – Within the paranormal because you kind of get thrown into a, an undecided box about how you can't uh, function as a real researcher in this community because you're not allowed by virtue of the machine to correct yourself. You're not allowed to be wrong. You put forth a theory and you either beat it to death and stick with it and marry it, put a ring on its finger uh, because if you ever divorce it, then you pretty much divorce yourself from the community. Yeah. Um, that's it. Uh, That was really what we wanted to talk to him about. Uh, So that was more that part of the interview. So I don't think that was generalizing. That was very specific instances. We're talking about the inner workings of how the parapsychological field works, and that's what we really wanted to get across more than anything.
0: Well, I'll say that um, – I'm going to take Pete's side on this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm going to say that – Yes, we did. Of course, we wanted to talk about that. Um, however, I thought it was odd that Phil really wanted to talk about that. I mean, if you if you noticed, he was the one that was really bringing the stuff up and kept going with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really expected us to to not be talking about that for as long as we did and to get into some more cases. But it seemed to be on Phil's mind, too. So we went with it. Uh, yeah and you get what you get, but of course, Phil is one of those guys who 's going to be on frequently, so
1: oh absolutely uh,
0: we 'll definitely be getting into cases later
1: and let's, let 's and let 's not make the uh the apology here that that we don 't want to be a show that continuously just puts out scary stories because that's that 's not what we 're trying to do here I mean no, you can, I know, you but can I, really, to just but I
0: thought it was weird that that we we were supposed to be talking about his book. Uh, I thought more than we did, and we ended up talking more about why he left ufology. So in a way, I mean, I thought it was interesting that it was clearly something that he wanted to get off his chest and let everyone know that he is now more of a paranormal researcher than a ufologist, and, yeah. and here's why, and, it, you know, thankfully, or, you know, it just so happens that uh, a lot of his reasoning matches uh, what we've been saying, so it yeah. sort of validates what we've been saying, but, um, you know, I did want to hear more stories, not, not for the sake of just Hearing horror stories, but correlations between various uh, sets of paranormal things. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, those are always interesting to hear. But I you know, I mean, again, I think if you focus too hard on the 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 ever intimate details, then maybe it's good to take a step back with Phil every once in a while and take a look at the broader picture. Uh, and that's that's what I thought he was doing, which I thought was great. Yeah, but I mean, again, um,
0: you're with Phil. I mean, again, he's going to be on. Whenever. Yeah, so, keep, so keep listening
1: it. Pete, we'll, we'll yeah. definitely get you satisfied for that, uh, that, that thirst, um, uh, and, and I did right Pete, and I, I wasn't nasty, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I wasn't nasty, I just said hey, you know, we're, we like to go a little deeper sometimes, and this was one of those shows, anyway, here's one from John, John says hello, I just wanted to say, take a moment to say thank you, uh, thank you for doing Paratopia every week, thank you for maintaining your personal integrity and openness in the face of rampant willful ignorance. Thank you for continuing to talk human consciousness, what it means, where it's going, and what we can do to understand it. In short, thank you for giving a damn. Uh, this was kind of inspired by the Nick Redfern episode. Quote, is anyone listening and does anyone care? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we do. <laughs> Paratopia is the only type. Of podcasts that I listen to regularly for the simple reason that it is the only one where I feel that sensation, that crackle in the air when people are really talking, really communicating about high strangeness. Not just mentioning it, not just batting it about, but actually sharing what they know and feel and coming away with more to think about. I don't think you realize how rare that is, or maybe you do. So thank you. You are doing good and meaningful work, and some of us at least are listening. So thanks for that, John. That's Yep. That's nice. I mean, we like getting stuff. Like, and that's, I'll tell you, that's the majority of what we get. Um,
0: well, I think that's great because that's, I can't say that that's even, that's one of those intangible qualities that you cannot strive for. And if you have it, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I know exactly what he's talking about. That's the way I used to feel when I would listen to uh, Streber's Dreamland.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to read this one too by from Michael. Michael, uh, this was in response to Nick Redfern's episode number 58, so we're going back a little bit. Uh, It says, I applaud your desire to stay out of name-calling and personality attacks. Yay! (laughs) But I hope that doesn't mean you'll suddenly stop calling out craziness on your podcast. Dangerous craziness like Jacob's needs to be exposed. I can understand not wanting to go into it more until he speaks, but I do feel you guys are one of the few willing to call people out on their crazy. We need that. Well Michael I th- I think uh I think this pretty much this episode should solidify your concern. <laughs> uh we are not uh uh no we're not engaging in the crapola shit fest anymore but we're certainly going to call out crap where we see it. I just don't want that I mean Jeremy you agree with me I I don't and we have not this is our first initial question I'm asking this Jeremy live right now. That's not really what we want to be here. We don't necessarily want to focus on calling out all the time, correct?
0: Well, yeah, then that gets into the policing the field.
1: Thing. Which you can't do. You know, I mean.
0: Yeah, no, this was really a specific call for potential justice, assuming that this woman had been wronged and calling into question a technique that's used uh, wrongfully. So that's not getting into just, you know, for instance, having on. Uh, well-known frauds just to bash them or or anything like that. I mean, that's certainly not the kind of show we're going to become. But, yeah, I mean, and as far as Jacob's being crazy um, and us calling him out as crazy, I don't think we really even did that. I think we just said, look, there's a real problem here that he has not answered since 2007. (laughs) And as we can see, he still has not answered it. He has really just laid back and said, she's crazy. Take my word for it. Right. Right, because I'm David Jacobs. So, uh, you know, I I don't really know how to respond to that because I don't particularly think that we did call out Jacobs for being crazy. We just called Jacobs out to give a response to what seemed to be, (laughs) in my opinion, a crime.
1: Right. Uh, Well, here's another one from Earl. This is about the Emma Woods tapes. Uh, This I'm sorry. This is about the Emma Woods interview. And Earl says, one interesting thing that popped out is when Jeff asked her about her ethnicity, she mentioned Basque origin, among others. At first sight, it doesn't fit into scottish Irish expectation that people usually connect to abduction cases. But actually, Basque people, though they are very different in appearance, language, and culture from Irish and Scottish people, share the world's highest concentration of R1BY haplotype. In their genes, much like Irish people, for instance, which makes them genetically very unique in that they share these genetic markers with Celtic people, and they also have the world's highest concentration of Rh-negative blood. In other words, if Scottish people, by their genes, are expected to be abductees, then that expectancy should be even greater for Bosque people. Very interesting detail. Thanks for the show.
0: And they're full of beta carotene. (laughs) Little known fact.
1: That's probably why they're orange. Um, (laughs) Why they're redheads. Yeah, beta-carotene. And here's another one. This is for episode 57, the Emma Woods tapes. This is from Jan. Jan says, check out Emma Woods' website. The chick is nuts. She credits the slightest oddity with her own narcissistic specialness. The tapes were mangled. I've heard Jacob speak, and he talks very sensibly. Oh, and she's bipolar. Just read her rants.
0: Right
1: thanks for that. Uh,
0: <laughs> Next
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, really? You could tell all that from a website, huh? Wow. <laughs> God damn, you need to get a degree.
0: Um, <laughs> Here's one from the Emma Woods uh, episode 60 from C Thaxter that I actually <laughs> did uh, sort of uh, address. Not, not quite as nicely as you probably did to the other critical guy. But <laughs> okay. this person says, uh, an interesting interview, but I think you've waded too aggressively into a dispute that is muddled and unsavory. There's probably a lot of information you may be missing from the other side. Also, I found the priest abuse analogy over the top. This is not a case of sexual abuse, and to liken Bud Hopkins' letter to that of a bishop covering for an abusive priest is just unprofessional, in my opinion. Well, I've already answered that, but Jeff, you go ahead. Let's see how our answers match up.
1: What? (laughs) I I mean, it's an analogy. It's not comparing anyone. No one's being compared there. I mean, good Lord, if you can't take an analogy for what it is, please give me a break. No one's saying that anyone's a child molester, for Christ's sakes. That's ridiculous. He's
0: covering for the power structure by telling the little person to just keep quiet. Right. Uh, And as far as unprofessional goes... We don't get paid. (laughs) And as far as just picking that out uh, and then bothering to type that up as a criticism is a giant waste of your time. And you should probably think about what it is that interests you in all of this if that's the thing that you latched on to as worth noting out of the Emma Woods case was my analogy to Molesting Priests. If that's what you got out of it, then you need to rethink why you listen to any of this stuff.
1: Well, I mean, again, I think you said it before to me... And and, and I, I'll be honest, you know, we don't get a huge amount of uh, of of nasty mail. I think the majority of what we get is is very positive, which is great. It makes me feel good about what we're doing and the time that we're spending on it. Uh, but when we do get negative stuff, I immediately and Jeremy can attest to this. I immediately get like you know, wits. yeah, I say these people they don't want to listen to anything. They don't want to hear what we have to say, and and that's just not true. I think the uh, I think Jeremy's right in that you do have to reassess why you're listening uh, and if you really care about this or not. But in the end, like you've said to me, Jeremy, is this is Jeremy's textbook answer to me when I get pissed off about this kind of stuff is people will hear what they want to hear. No matter how many times that you clarify or solidify your position, they're going to hear what they want to hear. Right. Uh, there's just some people that are just like that, and I think, um, I think some people really just can't uh, – can't offer any criticism without it being uh, nasty. It's like they, they have some deep-seated need to do that. So, um, yeah, we've read good and bad emails, so uh, I think that pretty much wraps up the mailbag for the week.
0: Very good. And when we come back from commercial break, I will share with you my dark and stormy night at Jeff Ritzman's.
1: Oh, my God. Hi, I'm Dennis McKenna, and you're listening to Jeff and Jeremy on Paratopia.
0: Hey, this is Stacy. this is Wes. Be
1: sure to check us out on the Black Fridays podcast.
0: Where we explore the esoteric one conversation at a time.
1: You can check us out at www.theblackfridays.net. It's a little bit freaky. And
0: we will see you there. Hey, Peritopia. Jeremy Vaney here. And... As I think you all know, I'm always hesitant to push my own wares on this show. I don't know why, but I am, but screw it. I'm doing a two-for-twenty sale. That's right. That's right. If you want to get an autographed copy of my book, I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land, and a copy of my movie in convenient DVD form, entitled No One's Watching an Alien Abductee's Story. I will send them both to you for $20 along with a very special gift. It's a surprise. So if you want a pretty cool book and a pretty cool movie for 20 bucks and a surprise-free gift who doesn't love surprises, shoot me an email at paratopiapodcast at gmail.com. And we shall proceed through PayPal. But for international listeners, just be aware that the DVD is Region 1, which means it can only be played in the U.S. and Canada, unless you've got one of them their special DVD machines that uh, cracks the code. So maybe you don't want to do this. <laughs> or maybe you could just sell it on eBay and make yourself a little a little cash back. I don't know. In any event, paratopiapodcast at gmail.com, two for $20, free gift... Shipping and handling is included in that fee. Tax is included in that fee. This is just until we get our Peritopia store up and running. All right. Take care.
1: For a couple of weeks now, you've been uh, teasing that you wanted to talk about.
0: Yeah, well, and this sort of involves Emma, or perhaps. I mean, there are lots of threads that you can make something out of or not. But this has been an evolving thing. With me here in the last few weeks, which has started, it all started, uh, when I went to visit <laughs> Jeff, um, and it was the weekend that we taped the Emma Woods episode. So right. I get the call from her, um, that was on, what, Friday night, I believe?
1: Yeah, before you even got here.
0: Before I got there. And then we set it up for Saturday, um, and then I, I went to bed in uh, Jeff's guest room. Which is always a mistake. <laughs> Because Jeff, as we know, is the most haunted man on planet Earth. Stop, please. So you can't you can't you know, if you're gonna sleep over at the Ritzman house, you've gotta wear depends. This is what that boils <laughs> down to. Sorry. So, so I'm lying there in my appropriately scared state of just waiting for some monster to bite me or something. Um, but I'm 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 just heart. Are you
1: genuinely on- are you genuinely scared when you stay in there? I oh, yeah, mean,
0: I'm always scared every night I'm there, I'm scared. Are you kidding? Really? You're uh, so see, surprised.
1: Well, no, I mean, I, I can say this, and I don't mean. Have you I don't lived mean in your up, skin?
0: But, Have you stayed at your house, sir?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I don't. I don't mean to interrupt the continuity of your of your story here, but you know, the one thing I can say is that this room is directly next to the room I'm in right now, which is my music room, and uh, I can say there's been times where Lisa's been sick, and I don't want to get it, so therefore I sleep on the couch. And I've always found it a little weird that I think the last, and I, I think this came up for me the last time she was sick. I'm laying on there on the couch and I look in and I see this really nice mattress and bed <laughs> in this guest room. And I'm like, not going to happen. I'm staying right here on the couch. You know, I'm going to watch this movie. And I fall asleep on the couch and wind up with a stiff leg the next day from it affecting my back. Why don't I want to sleep in that room? I can't bring myself to sleep in that room. Oh, That's good. why it's called. Jeremy's room.
0: <laughs> I didn't know that. Thanks.
1: <laughs> I just don't I don't well I will <laughs> well here's what, yeah, here's what I'll say about that. Um I have I've sat on the couch. Uh, I mean usually I don't sit in in my chair, which is Jeremy's affectionate fart chair. Most of the time, most of the time I'm on the couch. And I do have to say that in that hallway, Lisa, Cody, myself, we've all seen something some kind of movement in that hallway. Uh, Not, not dissimilar from what kind of movement we used to see at the condominium down a similar hallway leading to guess what, a bathroom. And, and you do pass by a bathroom in this, in this house as well. I'm not sure what it is. You can never make out what it is, but there does seem to be movement both in that hallway towards the back and in the room Jeremy stays in. I don't know what it is. It's not a figure. It's not light. I don't know what it is, but it does catch your eye on a fairly regular basis. And we have set up cameras to to try and see uh, what we can get. We never get anything. I will say this, and you mentioned this to me, Jeremy, when you were here. When we have set the camera to run live off the Mac in the music room, I've had more than a few people say that about 3 a.m., 3.30, there's a loud bang that sounds like it's right in the room. Hm and you mentioned that you heard a really loud bang about three three thirty a m in your room. see that's where I think that bang is originating from is in that room, whatever that is, but it's pretty regular Wonderful. um and I know that the nights that I've run the camera we've definitely had a lot of people talk about that so anyway go go ahead with your uh your thing
0: It ends with a bang, so I'm lying in there i'm I'm scared i'm and I'm obsessing over the the Emma Woods thing and just various scenarios of of us interviewing her, just running through my head, uh, all the questions we're going to ask, you know, all that sort of stuff. And um, eventually I get to sleep and I sleep for, I don't know, I'm assuming a goodly number of hours. By the time I actually got up, it was 4.20 in the morning. So probably till around there, I would think, um, when suddenly I am woken up by just Oh my God, there's someone in the, the room or there's someone in the house. Just this fear of there's somebody here just wakes me up out of dreaming. <laughs> so I'm lying there. And of course I'm a chicken when it comes to this stuff. So I, I lie there with my eyes closed and I don't want to, I don't want to look around the room. I don't want to see anybody. I just want, just do what you're going to do. Let's just let this happen, baby. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'll be That's your nice. paranormal prison bitch. Um, so I'm lying there with my eyes closed, and this is where it gets weird. I have this visual uh, – I should say this first. What happens is as I'm lying there, I find myself once again obsessing over this Emma Woods interview. And yeah. this is really hard to, to explain. It's probably impossible to explain, but basically uh, the, the, the sound, the audio of whatever this sort of – you know, obsessive dream mode is, gets really loud. It swells in my head. It feels like it swells oh. up like that, and, and the emotionality of it does too. Like, the fear turns to just this sort of, like, deep terror, and suddenly, uh, sort of on the back of my neck, where my skull meets my neck, um, a large light goes on, like a chakra or an energy center or something, like, kind of like, I don't know, quarter size, maybe a little larger, half-dollar-sized light. Light illuminates uh, hovering above my spine.
1: Now, and I think you have to qualify to people how you see that. I mean, because you, you wouldn't be able to see out the back of your head. You well, just, I can't qualify. You have a feeling that it's there.
0: No, I can see it. I have a visual of it. I'm awake, and I have a visual of it. It's like a non-local experience or or a hallucinogenic experience or something. I can see okay. this. I mean, I'm, I'm perceiving this. I've got my eyes closed. And I'm seeing this light and I'm seeing my neck and I'm seeing it illuminate my skull from inside as I'm hearing okay. this. And I'm just scared. I'm scared out of my mind. I'm like and, – and my skull is starting to go numb. It's starting to like tangle and go numb and I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is it. This is where I evolve <laughs> into whatever <laughs> this meditation energy is making me come into, you know? Like that's my thinking. It's <laughs> like, uh-oh. <laughs> am, am I going to be the same after this or is this it? um Right. And, but I, I think like, again, I have the feeling of like presence in the room intruder something. And so I think to myself or to it, I think to the presence, I don't say it out loud, but just, why does it have to be this way? Why do I have to feel fear? Whatever is going to happen, just do it. But why do I have to feel this fear? And when I think that I I get the visual of that energy center Um, that there is sort of an invisible barrier almost like water or plastic or something between it and my body, it and my nervous system or my skeleton. Um, And that whatever the energy is in that energy center can sort of trickle through that barrier, but it can't directly connect to my body without um, me being sort of brought into the now moment. And the best way to, Uh, galvanize somebody and bring them into that now moment is with fear, because we immediately go into animal instinct mode. And once we're in that animal instinct mode, this thing can connect. And that's why there has to be fear. Now, I will say that being said, in reflection, that might be an answer to the question, but that doesn't mean that that has to be the answer to the question. So I'll just throw that out there. So I see this and I intuit this explanation, for lack of a better term, because I'm not Hearing an explanation, I'm seeing a visual of it, and I understand the visual as it's playing out. Um, and then the the energy center just sort of fades out, and another one further down my spine opens up, a little bit smaller, and the fear is a little bit less. And that closes, and one further down my spine opens up, and I'm thinking, "Gee, you know, I wonder what happens if it, you know, goes and." to the one near my ass or something like is this, you know, oh, great. This could get dirty. Uh, but that doesn't happen. It, that one closes. The third one closes and it's a little dimmer and a, and a little smaller. And when it closes, I go into this lucid dream. And in the lucid dream, um, I'm in New York and I'm in the streets of New York. And there is a sleazy politician kind of uh, like our governor. If it wasn't our governor, he looked an awful lot like him. You know, winking to the public and, and trying to pretend to be super liberal, except Bill Maher is – you can hear Bill Maher's voice in the distance challenging his liberalness with real liberal facts. And he sort of acknowledges Bill Maher and, and uh, tries to keep the facade of being liberal and being what the people in the streets want uh, in spite of the criticism. And my point of view, or the camera, as I like to call it, swirls up this building. And standing on the ledge of the building is like a guy out of Central Casting who you see – playing a New Yorker, like, hey, how you doing? Like that kind of guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is standing on the ledge with what should be a camera, but it's actually sound equipment. And he's picking up something that I can't see that's out of my visual range, and I can't turn my perspective. And I'm so I'm straining to hear it, but I can hear the crowd is responding to it. And so I strain, and I hear, and it's a call and response of a very Oprah-esque thing, really, of the voice says, I, and the crowd says, I, can can be strength, be strength. And he repeats it, I, I can be strength. And as he's repeating this, my perspective or the camera is closing in on the eye of the sound guy who's like now smiling and at this. and um, I, th- I thought it was funny then, even as it was happening that instead of panning around to see who this guy is uh, saying I can be strength, that I'm closing in on the eye <laughs> of a person when he's saying I. So that happens, and then I hear in the room a boom noise, just like Jeff described, um, which sounds like it's coming. It's not a knock on the door. It sounds like a knock or a break or something in the door, but it's by the door. It's not exactly, I mean, I can't tell right. you what side it was on. It was just really loud, and it was a, you know, kind of noise. Um, and that jolted me out of it and and up. <laughs> like I sat up and I was like, uh, but not scared. I like it, like sat me up and I was giddy and I was happy because I felt like I completely got what I can be strength means because he didn't say I can be strong or you are strong. He said, I can be strength, which was so oddly specific. And for some reason still to this day it resonates with me. And I knew it to mean then, um, that I can be strength in the f- for Emma Woods to be able to feel like she can speak out. I can be strength in the face of Don Ecker, who at the time I thought was sort of a you know bullying me, and I thought that it meant I can be strength so that people listening to me take on a bully will feel empowered. And I can be strength also meant that um, that in the face of this fear, y- you can be strength, and if you are strength, if you see it all the way through to the other side, then you reap the rewards, but you have to do that. Unfortunately, you have to go through the fear to get to the other side. It doesn't mean you're gonna, it just means you can. So I knew all of that, And and I thought, I didn't know for sure, and I'm not completely sold on this, but my initial thought was, even as the lucid dream was going on, was that I'm hearing the voice of Jeff's cloaked guy, which I don't think he'd ever described what the voice was, but to me it sounded like um a fifty-ish David Carradine type, like a world weary, wise traveler, very even-toned eye, can't like sort of gravelly, you know, that type of thing to it. And when I asked Jeff about that after, that's pretty much what he described as as the voice. So maybe it's that guy, I don't know. But I went and I looked at myself in the mirror in the bathroom, and I had this uh really long, like, or I should say really thick red line going from the center of my forehead down to the bridge of my nose and then it curved over and went into my right eye which I don't know what that's about but there was that Um, so I went and I wrote it down I can be strength and then I just sort of went back to bed and felt like I was going to be fine I I went and tooled around in just computer for a minute I actually tried to take a picture using his photo booth of the the mark but it had pretty much disappeared by the time I thought to do that Um, so maybe that's nothing maybe it's something I don't know but Interestingly, the next morning, um, or later that morning, technically, when everybody was up and I was telling Jeff about this, his wife Lisa went and let the dog out through uh, to the backyard through the sliding glass door, and then they've got like the kitchen door, and she came back and she said, "Did somebody open the kitchen door? Because the kitchen door is just open." And Jeff said something like, "Well, no. I mean, we had the alarm on, so that's impossible." Um, and she said, well, no, I turned the alarm off. I just let the dog out. But then when I came back, the front door is just open. And he said, the screen door. And she said, no, the door, the door, door. Did anyone go out there? And like, no, I'm like, what? I bet whoever that was left. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's true. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, yeah. so I thought that was odd. Now, cut to, we do the Emma Woods interview. And then the next day she writes us an email thanking us. And if you'll recall from the episode, You know, Jeff had asked her uh, any any paranormal activity outside of UFO type activity in your life. And she said yes. And she described this poltergeist activity. So in the letter, she thanked us for uh, for doing the show and all of that um, and then said, "Now I don't know if it was because we were talking about poltergeist phenomena. But when I got done with the interview, I was sitting here and I suddenly heard this knock or this boom. I I can't remember what she said uh, in the center of the room which is just what I'd heard, you know, that night before. So to me, that's one of those synchronistic uh, confirmations of something. You know what I mean? It's like one of those, is it something or is it nothing? Now, here's where it gets really strange. So cut to the next week. And by the way, all this time I've got this now as my mantra. I can be strength. I mean, I'm constantly thinking about this now, which is stupid because it's kind of a, like I said, it's Oprah-esque. So I don't know why it's like so resonates with me, but it does. It's like... For some reason, this this stupid little thing is now empowering to me. So I just say it to myself all the time. But anyway, so the next week, my friend Melissa Reed sleeps over, uh, and she sleeps on the couch, and uh, I have a fold-out couch, and she sleeps on that, and she's a complete just slob. Like, she's one of those people who who just takes over the room, you know, with all of her stuff, and she'll, like, take stuff out of the fridge and leave it out. So when she (laughs) left... I'm sitting here at my computer at, like, 5 p.m., and a mouse comes, like, just scurrying into the center of the living room. Very unmouse like because usually they don't come to the center of a room, but it was just like, hey, dude. <laughs> you- and the
1: mouse says, I can be strength.
0: Yes, the mouse says, I can be strength. No. So, I, <laughs> I, I, now I'm, I'm, like, looking at the, I'm like, hey, mouse. And I, I chase the mouse off, and, you know, I, I've never seen a mouse in this apartment, so I'm, like, really, like, ah. So I run out and I get traps and stuff and I call Melissa and I'm like, I just saw a mouse. And she's like, Oh, I thought I heard, you know, stomping around the living room. I I knew I shouldn't have left that food on the floor all night. This is what Uh. she says to me. (laughs) So now all night I'm like, I know I didn't catch this mouse. I just chased him around a little. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I don't know where this mouse is. I don't know what's going on, but it's one of those things. Like I'm obsessing over it. Like I did that, that Emma interview. So that night, as I'm obsessing over it, I go to sleep, and at some point in the middle of the night, I have this dream, and the dream is me trying to catch the mouse. And it's a very lucid dream, and I catch the mouse with a cup, but there are all these bugs on the cup, and they're trying to escape, and I'm trying to catch the bugs. And as I'm having this gross dream of mice and bugs, out of the back of my neck, where that chakra or whatever is, comes the mouse. And I mean I feel this thing come out of my neck, I feel it scurry across my head, and it like startles me, and I open my eyes and it jumps off my head in front of me and just evaporates. It just disappears into thin air.
1: Ghost mouse.
0: <laughs> well, not ghost mouse necessarily, but <laughs> but almost like literally we create our own reality, or you can pull out of yourself this dream material to see before you. And then I get to thinking, like, is this the thing that you know, you hear these guru stories from India uh, or, you know, Tibet or whatever, where these guys just sort of materialize things.
1: Manifestations, yeah. Yeah,
0: is that what they're doing? Uh, you know, it got me to thinking about that. Um, and then last week, uh, I think it was Friday, I had another dream. I was just sleeping and dreaming, wasn't obsessing over anything. And the dream started to get loud and started to go rah 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 again into that activation mode. And I just stopped it. I just, like... I just, like, opened my eyes. I looked at the clock. It was 3.30 on the dot, of course. And I just said uh, to myself, you know, I'm not having this. I, you know, I, I'm not at Jeff's. I don't have a girlfriend or a wife or, you know, I'm not, i not – I ain't doing this alone, you know. I'm right. not going through this by myself. So I called it off. Oh, but you know what? The, the The interesting thing I forgot to mention the first time was that when I jolted up from the experience after I heard the slam in the room, I could hear – by my left ear, it wasn't exactly in my left ear. It was sort of lower than my left ear, but definitely are in there somewhere. Um, the little uh, organ, the little child's organ that I'd heard uh, during um, the binaural beats and yeah. uh, during hallucinogenic trips, you, you know, this is the thing that's reported.
1: Yeah, the strange music, yeah. Like it's uh, the strange music that's in the next room that sounds like a little toy piano or something, a to- little toy organ.
0: Yeah, so I definitely yeah. have the sense that this is – something going on with of course DMT in the brain something going on with sure. this meditation energy or chakras but but that at least initially it was manipulated by an outside agency of some sort
1: and That's you something. have to wonder when it, when it comes to your mouse uh the disappearing mouse type of thing if that was uh well let's let's but what, what? I mean, what, what, well, I should
0: say that the mouse—the first time I saw it—was a real mouse. I mean, I'm not. It was, saying it was a real
1: mouse, a, sure. I, I'm not I don't saying I produced the
0: mouse. I'm saying that that I then right. had a dream, and it came out of the dream world into the real world for long enough to feel and see before it disappeared. Which was right. Uh, right. Would anyone else have seen that? I don't know.
1: Well, that's the question: is it, is it objectively real? Was the mouse objectively real there for as long as he was because of your obsession with the mouse? And that is something that we have talked a lot about in terms of hallucinogenics, and uh, you know what McKenna is about. Singing, you know the DMT types saying that you can sing these objects into existence in that space whenever you listen to one of his interviews or one of his uh, lectures when he talks about you know if you could just bring back one of these objects that you could sing into existence back to our reality all human discussion would end you would just say look <laughs> at this and and that that's always been our question hasn't it that that how do we have an experience that we could regulate to DMT in the brain psychedelic experience what have you how does that then get photographed how does that then get picked up on radar how does that you understand where i'm going where does yeah. the manifestation happen out of that and that may be the connection between the two not that we know what it is but is there a connection and can there be a connection and your experience with that seems to indicate that yes there is that um that that a certain uh, altered state can then manifest on its own or with you an object so by the same token if you have a DMT experience or you have uh, whether it be, you know, uh, self-induced or a natural uh, occurrence within the body or within the brain, and you experience aliens, <laughs> then might there be some kind of, of tangible proof that is is able to be visualized, photographed, seen in some way? Uh, and how long will that evidence be able to be maintained in this reality, aka Phil and angel hair from the UFO sightings? Mm-hmm. That's interesting stuff to me. It's a whole lot more interesting than anything I've heard lately. So uh, I don't know. I mean maybe that's the connection to that. It's, well, uh, I definitely
0: think just sociologically I think it's an interesting thing to have happened to, well, me or any sort of guy in my situation in this age. Because I feel like if that had happened to a new agey person or if that had happened in another age and, and I had described that – especially that first encounter of, of seeing the visual and the explanation of what these chakras, why there needs to be fear and all that, right. that that would become the explanation. That would be the thing that I write about. That would be what I focus on. I would right. do a how-to book, all <laughs> that sort of stuff. But, but I, we're now at an age that can produce a person who says, who has this experience, and then turns around and says, well, wait a minute. Is that – is it giving me – the answer to why there's fear in all of this, or is it giving me an answer that is correct from a point of view to the exact wording of what I asked? Right. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? And,
1: and, yeah, and don't ignore that the the fact that the that the entire experience as a whole has a great escape hatch. Uh huh. <laughs> right? I mean as far as a paranormal experience goes it's got its escape hatch you were asleep you were dreaming you can pick anyone you want you know this is this is ultimately one of those um those kind of experiences that that fits that textbook Except um, at that
0: point I wasn't dreaming or asleep that's the thing
1: Well I mean, you I, know that
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you know that um I mean again you know but these 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 experiences are ultimately for you know subjective and probably tailored to you no doubt uh tailored to your i don't know if i want to say your expectation but certainly tailored to you as an individual as as most experiences like this are i Uh, I wonder
0: what would have happened if i had said god you know i wonder how you make a double cheeseburger
1: you you would never go hungry again
0: would i well would i have then (laughs) seen the exact recipe of how to make a double cheeseburger and then uh, when I, I have know. said this is the only recipe that matters for double cheeseburgers.
1: Right, right, right. I can be ketchup, lettuce, lettuce, pickles, mustard, <laughs> ketchup on a sesame seed bun.
0: Um, well, that, I mean that's interesting. The I can be strength is something that only. I mean that's one of those things that really does only matter to me, and I don't know why it does. You know, but it does. Yeah. It, it certainly has had a profound impact for some reason on yeah. me um but it is completely meaningless to anyone hearing this story in the same way like you said in the same way that a dream would be
1: sure yeah.
0: um or it's like hey you want to hear my dream except that this wasn't a dream so I, I don't know i oh well although that that part of it was in a dream except that i knew i fell asleep and i knew i was dreaming you know what i mean like the whole thing was yeah. self-aware i found that interesting but well. then i also thought so here's one for the it's nothing category At least in terms Uh, of that, I thought – and I said to you, you know, don't be surprised if this guy gives you a (laughs) visit later this week when I'm gone. Um, Now, he didn't say that. It was just something I I felt might be true and and it didn't happen. So there you go. Although you did have (laughs) kind of an odd experience. Is that something you want to share Uh, with the class?
1: The class? Uh, Well, I don't have enough gum for everybody, but I can say this. (laughs) um how long how long after you left was that I don't remember was that the next night or the day after you left? Not sure I don't remember. I know it was definitely during the week yeah you know that you had I think you left on a Monday night, so it's probably Tuesday or Wednesday night now again, I have to qualify this and give the little disclaimer that I quit smoking about five years ago six years ago now, and uh I started out with a gum. The nicotine gum, which got me off the cigarettes, that and sheer will got me off the cigarettes. Um, but I have an acute dependency on nicotine, so uh, I went from the nicotine to the lozenges. And Jeremy can tell you without any question that I I ate those lozenges one right after another, and from from the time I got up till the time I went to bed, most days I would say I did that you go from one addiction to cigarettes to an addiction to a small tablet that gives you nicotine. Uh well recently I got so tired of paying the money for them and so tired of being dependent on them that I decided I was going to stop with them as a whole. Uh so I said I cannot be trusted to just like a smoker I can't be trusted to smoke one cigarette at the bar when you have a beer, you know, it's it's one it's it's one or it's a pack, right? So, um, I said, if I get the patch that will deliver what I need to make me somewhat comfortable so that I can drop the whole thing. One of the side effects of, uh, removing nicotine from your system is incredibly weird dreams. So I have to put that out as a caveat. I was right in the middle of that. I was, uh, uh, starting on the patches and, um, had not had a lozenger probably in two or three days. So anyway, I had had some very weird dreams, incredibly vivid, in one case lucid, of stuff that is so weird I'm not even going to get into. But this particular night, I don't even remember what I was dreaming about, but whatever it is, it it was waking me up over and over. And uh, I don't know if anybody's going to, realize what I mean when I say you're having a dream and then it seems like there's something that intrudes into that dream that makes it a little more real and a little more tangible. Uh, and you realize, oh, I'm dreaming, but what is this? It, it, I don't, that's very strange. and that That's something I should write Dr. Lillenfeld about and ask him about. But um, that happened within this dreamscape. And so I I had begun being awakened multiple times during the night. And I remember I had just gotten back to sleep and I'm right back into this dream. It was like a pickup uh, thing. Like uh, right after these messages, (laughs) we'll be back to your dream. Well, didn't you say something
0: made you like what happened to me? You sort of woke up scared and then checked the alarm and the doors and all that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had the feeling like someone was in the house, which is impossible because this house is so alarmed. It's absurd i got up and i walked around there was nothing there I, i laid back down and boom i'm right back into this dream which is really what made it a little more weird than weird for me and i was startled out of the dream opened my eyes and the minute that i opened my eyes i guess again to give you a lay of the room i'm laying in bed on my right side facing the doorway on top of my chest of drawers i have a uh a salt lamp, which is a, a, a lamp made from a large block of salt from the Himalayan mountains. It's uh, orange. It glows orange. Very pretty thing, but it, it illuminates most of the room. And so I see this figure that is blocking out the salt lamp. I can see the salt lamp from my perspective. It's blocking it out. It's clearly humanoid. It's got uh, a waist, a chest, a head, um, a little bit of a, an elongated neck and arms. Uh, I can see all of one, uh, all of its left arm almost down to the hand where I lose it in darkness. And then the other hand is up as if saying like, everybody knows the cliche Indian how uh, thing where the guy puts his hand up. That's what it was doing with its right hand. It's putting that up. And I notice it's only got two fingers (laughs) that are sticking up. Two very thick fork, it looked like a fork, like a fork that you would uh, flip burgers with uh, on the grill. And these two fingers kind of, the second that I looked up and saw it, uh, I I, I froze, and it started, the fingers started to come down uh, as if you you go from an open hand to making a fist, and the whole thing faded away. And then, then the light shone through, you know, I could see the salt lamp again. So whatever it was, if it was hallucinatory, it was hallucinatory to the point of being able to block out light. If it wasn't, then it was something solidified right there in the floor.
0: The Flatwoods Monster.
1: Right. (laughs) Well, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just saying. Well, do you think it was related to the
0: fact that we just did the Flatwoods Monster episode, which had a creature with two fingers that we were making fun of, and then there you see one?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's certainly a very weird experience, but I, I can't say horribly horrifying or anything. It wasn't like I bolted out of bed and started screaming. I was just kind of like, huh.
0: But then last <laughs> that was week, weird. do you want to talk about your wife?
1: Yeah, we can talk about that. I'd rather have her in here.
0: Yeah, is she around? Is she up?
1: Hold on a minute. Let me go get her. We'll be right back after these messages.
0: Research and investigation into the enigmatic. Eerie Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio Listen, Learn, Laugh.
1: Okay, so, Jared, we're back from the break. I've got my lovely wife, Lisa, sitting here. Hi, Lisa. Hello. And she has no idea why she's here. Yeah. So, I'm, <laughs> so I'm putting her on the spot, ultimately. Quite, quite so. Jeremy has talked about the experience that he had when he came to stay here with us oh, uh, okay. for the weekend and, and all of that. And okay. I told him about the two-fingered okay. thing that seemed to be standing by the bed that night, uh, not long after he left. Now you had an experience at your office place of all places that yeah. made you call me yes. freaked out. Yeah. Tell the audience basically what happened.
2: Okay. Um, I was sitting at the reception desk and um, the counter, there's a counter in front of the, in front of where the computer sits that I was playing spider solitaire on at the time. And that countertop is about nose level. And mm-hmm. as it was sitting on me, at least, and as I was sitting at the um, at the computer playing my game, out of the upper peripheral of my eyes, I saw something white about halfway through the third room. Something white went across the doorway. Hmm. And about at that same time, the entire office just went totally silent, almost like the electricity had been turned off.
0: Did that happen first, and then you saw something move? I mean, yeah. Was- no, it was the-
2: like. Almost simultaneous. And then it's like I got this adrenaline rush. Like, oh, my God, what did I just say? And that's when I called Jeff. Have
1: you ever seen anything like that in the building before?
2: No, I've, I've heard some weird stuff, you know. Well, but- when I
1: got there, I, I mean, the one thing I can say is when I got there, you said, sit in this chair. Yeah. <laughs> I, sat, I sat in your chair, and I'm looking down the hallway, and I didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. But you said, just be real quiet. And we sat there. And, and, and I mean, no less than 30 seconds I heard papers moving, mm-hmm. voices, mm-hmm. sound like people whispering, but they sounded like they were down that same hallway and to the right Yeah. is where it sounded like it was coming from. Right. I walked through damn near the whole place. Oh, I yeah. walked down the right hallway.
2: Mm-hmm. We went out into the warehouse. Warehouse.
1: Uh, and, of course, you heard some stuff in the warehouse because way, way, way in the back, right. I heard some, some – like somebody unloading a truck or something right. from the there, very, but, but you're not going to hear that stuff. in the front, right? I, I thought that was a fascinating story. Just by virtue of you saying everything went silent mm-hmm. like that, I what think did the white
0: thing look like? What was the shape of it? Do you, it,
2: it wasn't really see. a shape. It was just something white, like a blob. Because it was I
1: guess. out of your peripheral, I guess you really was couldn't. it
0: floating? Was it? Did it have legs? Was it? How big was it?
2: It was large
1: <laughs> yeah it was large enough to see it was yeah it
2: was it was reasonably large i mean it enough so to fill up the doorway mm-hmm. when it went by it but i did sit and I, I watched after that happened and i talked to jeff i sat and watched to make sure it wasn't the reflection of a car going by or and nothing like that happened again
1: I mean, when I that that was the first thing I said was, what if a truck went out behind right. you and reflected the sunlight into the building? The problem is, is that unless the sun is in a spot where it shouldn't be,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's not going to happen. And number two, uh, you have to realize this is like sort of like in an industrial park area, right. and come five o'clock, mm-hmm. it's virtually a ghost town. Yeah, I mean, there it, is no trucks going by. Pretty quickly. Plus. If I remember right, when I got there, you already had the blinds drawn behind you. So there's not a whole lot of ways that you're gonna get
2: mm-hmm.
1: light coming through there all the way down that hallway. Right. It would fall in the middle of the hallway, maybe five feet in front of the desk. That's about as far as you're getting with yeah. light from that window. Yeah. So I don't know what the hell that was. I mean, we walked all through it, I heard some noises. You couldn't you couldn't really pinpoint exactly where they were coming from. Right. Um
2: but again, because they're industrial buildings. You know, if the wind blows really hard, you can hear some movement and stuff, but it's not in the office. You can tell that it's in the ceilings.
1: Right, yeah. And
2: that, you know, it's because of the wind.
1: Yeah, the but drop this, ceiling in there.
2: The yeah. noises that we were hearing when he got there and I made him sit down, that was definitely not the typical noises that you Backroom, hear. Yeah. In right, that and
0: that you wouldn't have made a big deal about it. Yeah.
2: Plus, it wasn't, it wasn't windy that day.
0: No. no. Well, when, when everything sort of fell down, eerily quiet, uh, would you say that that was, um, were you scared at that time? I mean, was it a product of your fear and it felt like everything went quiet because of your senses heightening?
2: Absolutely not. It was absolutely, it went silent in there because the fax machine was going. We have people faxing orders into us all the time. The fax machine was going, the vents were blowing. I mean, it was, it was the normal sounds that we always hear in there and everything just, it was like the electricity was turned off and it was not a product of me because shortly after, I mean, within seconds after I had seen it, everything went back to normal
1: again.
0: Huh. Hmm.
1: That's just plain out weird.
0: And, you, and no communication, no, hey, this is why you're seeing this sort of feeling or anything? No. Weird.
2: I got the adrenaline rush. I definitely got an adrenaline rush. And it's like, you know, that that like, oh, my God, did I just see that?
1: Nobody's ever, n- nobody in your office has ever mentioned anything weird
0: like that? Well,
2: there was um the previous CEO. She used to say that it gets creepy in there when she was there late at night because she would stay to do month-end closing. And she'd usually not get out until nine ten o'clock at night. Huh. But she'd talk about it being creepy. But, you know, she said she always had her friends calling in. So that helped keep her grounded. And, yeah. You yeah. know. But nobody else there really talks about it being creepy. And I won't mention it to them because they already think I'm a little bit weird. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> well, there you are. <laughs> and there you have it, Peritopia.
1: <laughs> well, that's not all. I mean, here's the other thing is that um, Saturday night after uh, at 6 a.m., was it? Or was it Friday night into Saturday morning? That. Oh. Uh,
2: it was um that was Friday night into Saturday morning. Friday no, night, it was Saturday, Saturday, Saturday into Sunday. Into Sunday. We had to get up for church. Exactly. I
1: don't know about
0: this one, this this will be new to me.
1: I think I did tell you on the phone. Um, it will not
0: be new to me is what I meant.
1: <laughs> we 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 went to church with my parents for Easter on Sunday. Um, so we were planning to get up at about nine o'clock. Eight. Uh, eight. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because you have to get ready, um, and. Uh, I ended up falling asleep on the couch, mm-hmm. and you, as usual, fashion will leave me to die on the couch. No,
2: I went to bed at 11, I so um, really early right, Saturday.
1: And so, I'm asleep on the couch. I, I started watching a movie and fell asleep. I awaken at about quarter of 6 a.m. Yeah. To the alarm going off in the house. Now, people, let me... Let me describe to you the sound of my alarm going off. We have a bullhorn in each end of the attic. We have a bullhorn in the hallway, one at the top of the stairs, one out the back shed, uh, one in my studio, one in the carport. I wake up China when my alarm goes off. I come off the couch like a shot. I run to the nearest um, uh, Control. control panel and turn it off. I then began running madly about the house to find out what the hell is going on. It gave me a readout of Zone 2, which is the living room where I was sleeping being uh, the the cause of the alarm going off. At night, typically when we're in here asleep, we do what's called a shunt to the alarm, which means we turn off all of the motion detectors.
2: We have a dog.
1: And Yeah, and we have a dog that roams. So we've got the shunt enabled and therefore the motion detectors that are in every room of the house do not register as an intruder because Jeff with a shotgun is far more effective. But when we're not here, those eyes are all active. Now the alarm went off said zone two, which is our living room. Uh, Front door was not touched. Uh, There were no noises that I heard. I didn't see anyone. I didn't hear anyone. Everything was locked up tight as a drum. No windows were open. No nothing. I call. I report the false alarm to the monitoring company. They say, okay, we all go back to bed. When we get out to the car the next morning, Saturday, we did a lot of yard work. And I had laid down some paper mulch and grass seed in the front lawn right about at the driveway front door area, like towards the front windows. Mm-hmm. And there are footprints all over it. And I know damn well I didn't walk in it because we laid it at we dark. It. Yeah. <laughs> we laid it when the sun was going down. Right. Uh, we had some company that night, one person, and uh, I told him walk up the front steps. We were there when he came to the door and he was not walking in the grass. Right. He walked up the carport to us. When he left, he walked down the front steps and not through the yard. There is no reason for anyone's footprints to be in this mush in the front lawn, but there it is, and they're clearly footprints, mm-hmm. uh, shoe prints. So the only thing I can say is there's no reason for it to have gone off.
2: Well, especially because the type of of um, sensor that's on that door.
1: Yeah. In order a-
2: for that door to actually set the alarm off, it's a button in the jam, and you have to open that door in order for that alarm to to sound Right.
1: And I think that, you know, I mean, people listen to this, the first thing they're going to say is, well, somebody tried to break into your house. I mean, mm-hmm. you got their footprints out in the front lawn. And here's my problem with that is not only what you just said, but number one, we've spoken to all the neighbors. I mean, we've lived here over a year now. Yeah. There's never been a break-in in our neighborhood ever. And if you were going to pick a house to break into... This one would not be it. We are on a corner lot. Uh, we have a, uh, a a rather large street lamp right out in front of the house. Um, the house we're we're right alarmed. Up. We are. I don't want to say it's the jewel of the neighborhood or of the street, but it's definitely jewel of the block. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got the biggest lot. Uh, this is not the place you'd want to do that with. So, I honestly don't know. What the hell that was! But we've been seeing a lot of really weird stuff lately. I mean, yeah, uh, the light in the living room is another thing that yeah. makes my my head cock a bit because we often see that bright light near the ceiling in that room, and that's well, where I was the room the first was one to see it. Yeah, you were. And yes,
2: it, it, I thought I was having a stroke. Because you didn't see it, no. I was looking dead at it. I was like, "We're well, <laughs> not dead it. at it," but you know, seeing it right yeah, out of the yeah. periphery of my eye, and I'm yeah. like, "Do you see it?" And yeah. you're like, "See what?" And I'm like, "You can't not be seeing this."
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's the room that that went off in. I yeah. mean, I've seen it since then. Um, so well, I have
2: too. I've seen it on a couple of occasions. Yeah,
1: but, yeah. I mean, it's not not that unusual. Am I right? It's no. not that unusual for either no. of us to see it. Mm-mm. And uh, and so I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it, it couldn't have been somebody breaking in. Yet there's footprints in the front lawn that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not our footprints. I don't know. Make of that what you will. There may be a mundane explanation oh, for it going that- off. It well, could have been a. Uh, it could have been a. These things do happen. They do malfunction.
0: The footprints that are in the yard. Yeah. Uh, are they? positioned in such a way as to make you think that it could have been a bird? No.
1: No, I mean that's the thing. <laughs> it there...
2: looks like somebody danced around on it. Yes,
1: it looks like someone was dancing on it. Huh. I mean this is is a a form of seed that comes in a well, large could it have been
0: that somebody came up to your window, the alarm went off and they got yeah. scared and ran and that's <laughs> why it looks like somebody danced.
1: No. <laughs> no, cuz uh you got to you got to see it to to, to get what we mean when we say...
2: And as for coming up to the window and the alarm going off, that's an impossibility. That, that doesn't happen,
1: no.
0: The way
2: that the system is set up, that, that wouldn't
0: happen. So no. would somebody have... Somebody walking on that seed would not have set the alarm off?
1: Oh, yeah. no, no. Huh. What would
0: have set the alarm off?
2: Opening <sighs> the front door.
1: That's it. Or the windows, and that's it. Yeah. That's the only thing that will make the room... And I could understand it if the alarm went off and there was... Not a zone alert. Right. The zone alert was the living room.
2: Right.
1: And, and that's it, zone two. And the only way that zone two can go off is if the front door is opened, not the screen door, the door door mm-hmm. <laughs> is opened, or the windows are opened. And all of the windows are locked from the inside, mm-hmm. and they're also barred from the inside, so it's impossible. And that for
0: was the- like six in the morning. Right. So yeah,
1: six in the morning.
2: It was like
1: quarter up. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, I don't know too many burglars who come in at six in the morning.
1: <laughs> well, that's the other thing. But it literally looks like in this paper pulp that covers the seed that we laid down, it's a very mushy. So it's like it looks like you have oatmeal, green oatmeal, in your front lawn, and it's thick. It's about two, three inches thick, and it's soft. It took perfect impressions of footprints, shoes, shoes.
0: What size?
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say 10, 10 and a halfs. Uh, probably. I mean, they're bigger than mine. One
0: pair of feet.
2: They're bigger than they're bigger than Air's, but they're smaller than Cody's would be. Yeah,
1: yeah, our son. Yeah. Um, shoes. I mean, there's definitely a heel, a prominent heel on mm-hmm. one, but the other one looks to be like a tennis shoe. Does uh, it look
0: like just one pair of feet.
1: Uh, no, it looks like it could be a couple. To me, I mean, yeah, when I looked I, at I didn't it, didn't
2: look at the impressions that closely. I mean, I just saw the feet. Probably. And when
1: I say tennis shoe, I just mean in shape. Because you really didn't get, uh, it's not like you could take an impression and get like uh, the soul pattern. Yeah. You just got the shape. Hmm. But it looks like somebody literally did a little dance on the front lawn. I mean, they're all over it. It's like unless someone purposely saw us planting seed and said, we're going to go screw that up tonight. <laughs> and came over and that's what it looks like. Like somebody actively was trying to stop it. Which is just beyond bizarre to us. I mean, I don't know what that would be. I don't know why the alarm would go off when nothing is wrong. Right. However, these things happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just saying we've got that light in that room. You and I have both seen. Mm-hmm. We've seen stuff in the hallway that right. by Jeremy's bedroom door. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's weird because I mean, and none of this stuff started until we were in this house for six months. Yeah. Then all of this stuff started kind of popping here and there,
2: and you also got to remember that that's when Cody decided to take the- the flower trim off of his walls uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> we blame Cody yes. uh, so that's um, that's it i mean that's that's been the uh the the weird occurrences as of late um and I don't know how much you can make out of any of that um as paranormal, but it's certainly. Not normal for around here. So I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't want, know what to make of the alarm. But the, uh, you know, but the two-fingered guy in the bedroom is a little weird.
0: I'm <laughs> <laughs> in yeah. no hurry for that. <laughs> I think we so. solved a lot of things today. Just yeah. Second like episode of Lost. Some solutions, some new questions. Yeah. Some new avenues of study.
1: And, and you know what I'll add? I'll add that if any listener uh, uh, wants to uh, come spend the night in your room, uh, they're welcome to, to do that. Uh, or if anybody wants to set up an investigation equipment that's not me and Jeremy, um, <laughs> you could feel free to come set equipment up in that room. Oh, you're and,
0: asking for trouble, boy.
1: I don't care. I mean, you know what? How, how valid is it going to be coming from me or you? Uh, let's get somebody else to, to come in and, and look and record and do whatever. I, I'm open for that. So if anybody's interested in doing it, let me know. ParatopiaPodcast at gmail.com. There it is.
0: Thank you, Lisa, for uh, for sharing. Yeah. Thank you, Mara. your story.
2: You're welcome.
1: All right, onward and upward.